the blast from our past network. Hey everyone, co-host Corey here. I just wanted to take a quick second and say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Without you, podcasting after dark would not be possible. If you would like to help the show grow, please consider signing up at patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. You can also support the show by purchasing one of our awesome t-shirt designs on our merch store at podcastingafterdark.com or by picking up a copy of Seven Winters Alone by David Irons on paperback, hardback, or Kindle. Just search for Seven Winters Alone on Amazon or click on the link in the show notes. A free way to help out is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those reviews are huge for us and really helps get the show in front of new listeners. Again, thank you all so much for the love and support you've given us over these past few years. It really means the world to us. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Dead Heat, starring Treat Williams, Joe Piscopo, and Lindsay Frost. Corey, can I ask you a question? Of course you can, buddy. Do you believe in reincarnation? <laughs> Why do you want to come back as a as a woman's bicycle seat? <laughs> I had a feeling you might want to, but I just had to ask that. I just had to ask that. Uh, oh, hey everybody, it's it's me. It's it's sweet sexy Z, and uh, joining me as always is my beautiful bodacious co-host Sleazy C. What's up, Corey? I'm doing good. What's up, buddy? Uh, if if you didn't know by now. Well, you should know by now because you clicked the button on our podcast, but uh, we are going to be breaking down 1988's Dead Heat tonight. Woohoo! Dead Heat is a is a horror action comedy uh, that is chocked full of everything we love uh, here on Pad. And oh boy, oh boy, we we gonna have some fun tonight. It's it's a trick or treat part two. Yeah, there you go, trick or treat part two. That's right. This is our follow up, our our two part Treat Williams retrospective that we currently had queued up, or actually the the podcasting gods gave us. And uh, last episode, last proper we review, we did um, Deep Rising, and I walked us through that one. And boy, oh boy, am I so excited to walk through. Uh, Dead heat with you. Uh, real quick, I'll just tell you, since I'm talking right now, I'll just tell you what yeah, my experience with it. the movie is. Um, I saw it once back in the day with my dad. I, I remember him renting it. We used to watch cop movies all the time. So, you know, this he, I think he thought it was just a cop movie. And I remember... Loving it, being very confused because I was so young. I was probably like 10-ish or so. And I didn't, you know, the idea of like genre bending movies kind of like throw you off because when you're that young, you don't have as many experiences to kind of draw on. So it kind of threw me off with the, it's like, why am I laughing one second? And then seeing some pretty horrific, scary stuff in the next second. And it, it, it didn't quite traumatize me the way some other movies did. And if you go back and listen to our you know, movies that traumatize this watch list, you'll know what those are for me <laughs> and Zach. Right. Um, but this one stuck with me for so long. 
honestly, to the point where I've, I have not seen it since I was a kid, but it was one of the movies that were in my head when I pitched the podcasting after dark idea to Zach. This was one of the movies that we were going to kind of touch on. Don't know why it kind of got pushed around and shuffled and everything, but here we are. I'm watching it again for the second time, the third, because I watched it twice, but I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. And oh my God, where has this movie been my whole life? Uh, it's a shame that I have not watched it more because it is a hoot and it is a treat throughout. It is not Episcopo because Episcopo is something that's not funny and uh, has a weird head, but it's a treat. Dead Heat <laughs> is a treat. Zach, what about you, buddy? Well, I was going to say... Uh... Vinegar Syndrome put this yeah. illustrious, beautiful Blu-ray out. Uh, definitely worth picking up because it's got a bunch of extras on it and it's a beautiful transfer. Yada, yada, yada. Vinegar Syndrome. The Piscopo Syndrome causes your head to get really big. You suck your stomach in all the time when you walk around and you flare out your chest be- like you just got out of the gym. And you're That's not funny whatsoever. No, and it causes you to be really dumb. <laughs> Like, really dumb. Make really dumb jokes. I know, dude. It's remarkable. Yeah. I I saw this movie with my mom. uh, In the theater, of course. (laughs) When it came out. I was 12 at the time. Um, I think I saw it at La Hacienda Theater in Sunnyvale. Um, Yeah. I think I saw it for the first time really wanting it to go in one direction. It definitely did not. Um, I was, you know, I, you're either a, you're either a villain guy or a hero guy. And if you like the villains and you like the monsters and you like the guys in the suits that don't show their faces, if you're a hero guy, you like the good looking dude who, you know, is all chiseled and cut and like the hero guy, you know, I was more the hero guy. I looked, I, I idealized the hero in all my movies and I wanted to be the hero in all my movies, uh, that I saw. So this was one where I was like, oh, I don't want my hero to look like that, (laughs) where he became the monster guy at the end, you know? And so I think the first outing, I was like disappointed in it, but then I went, when it came out for sale on video, I think I bought it, like Good Times Video or some cheap version, Uh, and maybe watched it a handful of times since, and of course... It graced the pages of Fangoria magazine of, uh, of at the time, of course, because the special effects are phenomenal. And yeah, it is a wacky, why it is a it is a wacky wild movie that uh, thank the gods has been resurrected, no pun intended, uh, brought back to life by Vinegar Syndrome. And fortunately, we're breaking it down. We did Deep Rising right before this and now we're doing dead heat which in a weird way they kind of fit really well because they're like horror comedies yeah with like kind of monster feature type of things creature features i should say and uh while you're talking about vinegar syndrome i i know i have a couple in my collection um there's a movie that i think uh you have you know in the queue for us to do and it's a vinegar syndrome movie and then uh i won um new york ninja and so i but this is the first Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray that I've actually watched. And you know what I really like? Instead of doing chapters, they do reels. They they let yeah. you select from the reels. And those are the proper reel breaks that are in the movie. So those are like where the reels actually were. And I thought that was a really cool thing that it did. But 
the Blu-ray and uh, 4K disc and everything looks fantastic. Uh, I watched the documentary with um, uh, Mark Goldblatt, the director, and then I watched the documentary with Steve Johnson talking about all the the special effects and everything like that. And uh, obviously, we'll talk about them and, and the cast and everything. But uh, yeah, the, if you like this movie. You know, and if you or if you think you might have remembered liking it, I say just go buy the Vinegar Syndrome uh, Blu-ray. This is no, we're not being paid by them at all. It's a not fantastic, yet. yeah, not yet. Yeah, hopefully one day. But it's a fantastic disc, and a lot of love went into it. And honestly, the it looks fantastic. The the cut and everything, or, or the transfer, I should say. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think most of our listeners are hip to Vinegar Syndrome, and if you're not. Uh, get on that train because they they put out really they're a boutique company you know they don't do a huge run of their movies um, but what they put out is a plus quality stuff for B and under films uh, films that would have been forgotten and like like you said with New York Ninja so um, look look for more vinegar titles to pop up in the near future uh, one of their offshoot companies I think is called Fun City. And they do some more um, dramatic titles. And Fun City is another good one. There might be one in there from Fun City as well. You you may be surprised very soon. Um, But I will say this movie is very unique because I don't think there's honestly anything like it. Yeah. I don't think there ever has been since. There is an homage to an older classic noir film yeah that we'll get to later on okay yes all right so you want to want to touch on that later then because yes i know i know what the connection is to that film yeah yeah and and that mo- that film was remade in the 80s as well oh okay. so um interesting so and i also want to say too um this this film does uh, it does show a fact the fact that you can submerge something in water and it will look old and wrinkled. And if you take it out of water, it'll go back to complete normal in a couple hours. I'm just going to throw that out there. It is, is, can you ever consider Piscopo's head to be normal? <laughs> it actually, anything you put in water for a long time, it'll, sub, it'll get larger. It'll get larger. It's like those inflatable, like those little dinosaur sponges you put in the water in a capsule. Um, yeah, that's Piscopo's head. Yeah, so, his good old Piscopo's head. <laughs> no love lost here on Joe Piscopo. Um, I don't. We don't know the guy personally, and and we rarely shit on people. But come on, Joe pissed off Capo uh, is is. He can take the air out of a room faster than the decompression chamber that Treat Williams goes in. Oh, oh, burn, burn. Yeah, dude, before we go into Joe Piscopo. Uh, that was I good. Wanna, I'm really proud of myself. <laughs> that was a good one. That was a good one. Um, and I don't think you're at all wrong. Um, <laughs> so I do want to, to piggyback on what you're saying about how unique this movie is. Uh, watching it now, I realize it's a live-action comic book. And yes. it, which is awesome. And it's also like, you know, 88 minutes, which is fantastic. Oh. We, we love that. And we even both feel that you could have even trimmed maybe five, uh, five minutes off of it um, or even a car scene uh, with a hand stitching part in it. I'm going to say 10 minutes. Yeah, possibly. But you know what? It's still a tight film. It's still a lot of fun. And yeah, dude, there's nothing else like it. And it does do a good job of 
the hardest thing in the world, which is riding the line between horror and comedy. Uh, only a few movies can actually do that. Obviously, we all know Evil Dead does it very, very well. But there are, for every Evil Dead, there are like 50 movies that attempt it and just can't do it at all. But this does. And, uh, you know, I think that's Mark Goldblatt, the director. I think that's that's a lot of him and everything. And uh, and obviously the writing, too. I think uh, Terry Black uh, wrote this. They didn't do much else. Um, but it's a unique film. And, uh, and it's a lot of fun. And, yeah, nothing else like it exists. And that is to its benefit. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I, yeah, I was thinking of like Return of the Living Dead, for example, yeah. is, a, is another horror comedy. But you're right. It, it, it's it's rarely done well. Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Um, but, but when it is done well, like those movies we just mentioned, it's great. Mm-hmm. When it's not, it just flushes down the toilet and is forgotten. So uh, this one's not. I'm glad we're doing it. I'm glad we're doing it now. Um, yeah, like you said, it's, it's a, it's an 80 plus minute movie, which to be honest with you guys, you know, we break down these movies. It takes a long time to break down movies. This one actually took me quite a while to break down this movie because there's a lot of dialogue that I had to write in. Well, (laughs) but then I was like, nah, the scene is insignificant. We'll get to that. That's like the before the third act. Um, but yeah, let's run down some of the cast and crew before we get into the movie itself. The meat of the order. You want to start, you want to start with Mark Goldblatt? Yeah, Mark Goldblatt is the director, known more for his uh, his his editing. Yeah, his editing uh, 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 filmography uh, is insane. Uh, we're talking yeah. uh, freaking. Oh, he edited Nightbreed, Commando, Rambo, Terminator. Apparently, he got in good with uh, um, James Cameron with Terminator editing Terminator. James Cameron got him uh, Rambo: First Blood because, uh, Part Two because James Cameron partially wrote that. You know, kind of helped write that. And then through there, he went to Commando and everything. But he's only. And he's, he edited Starship Troopers, Armageddon, Hollow Man. I mean, this is insanity. But he's only directed uh, Dead Heat and The Punisher and an episode of Erie, Indiana. Yeah, I mean, The Punisher, I'll be honest with you, um, it's getting a lot of love fairly recently. And and I, I think it's it's warranted. I haven't watched it in a bit. I remember kind of liking it back in the day. I want to rewatch it again. Our buddies like a... over at Talking Back just reviewed it. By the time you're listening to this episode, probably two or three weeks ago, but they reviewed the Dolph Lundgren 80s Punisher movie. And I know what you're saying. Like, it is getting a resurgence of love because when I was a kid, I hated that movie. But apparently, I think it's a lot better than I thought it was. But plug for our pals over at Talking Back. If you want to hear, uh, if you want to just walk through that movie because it's actually really hard to find, go listen to that. They'll they break it down. They walk through it kind of like we do and everything. So go check them out yeah i think there's a there's like a region two version that is uh that's available but i have a feeling it's going to be coming out soon via vinegar or somebody's going to put it out you know they're going to put it out but yeah mark goldblatt uh you're right he he's i mean he's he's work he's working to this day he edited he edited uh the last death wish movie that came out with bruce willis uh chappie uh, Percy Jackson, Sea of Monsters, you know, like some some grade A films. Uh, the guy is all over the documentary scene. You know, you can see him in like In Search of Horror Film Documentary, the In Search of the Sci-Fi one that's coming out. He's been in the action one. Like he's all over the place. The guy's been in, in he he he's very proud of his 
genre work as much as his mainstream work. And he should be because this is an awesome movie that that's getting a lot of love nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Um, the writer Terry Black uh, wrote some episodes of Silk Stockings, which I'm sure our our faithful listener Aaron Gilmer would uh, appreciate. She loves that show and Dark Justice, another one she loves. Yeah. Um, and and you know yeah he's he's worked on a few things. Um, I would say this script is uh, at times great and at other times like a dead fart. (laughs) Dead fart? Dead fart, yes. I'll take it. I'll take it. (laughs) Um, But but no disrespect. I just, there's, I mean, recall spade a spade. You know, there's moments where you're like, ooh, yeah, they could have tightened that up. But let's talk a little bit about the uh, special effects. You had mentioned the special effects. Uh, one of the main guys, one of the main guys is... Steve Johnson. I mean, that's a huge name in special effects. He had just come off of uh, his work on Night of the Demons, um, but he's going to go on to also do, you know, Species, Men in Black, you know, like all kinds of stuff like that. Um, my favorite my favorite Blade movie, Blade 2. Mine too. Yep, I saw that. Mine. That's my favorite one as well. Actually, one of my favorite comic book movies of all time. That movie's fantastic. Um and they're also joined by uh, Todd Masters, who I believe used to work with Boss Studios and, and Edland, uh, you know, Ghostbusters and all that kind of stuff. They were, I believe they were also a spinoff of ILM and everything. Um, but Todd Masters notably did all the butcher effects scene uh, uh, makeup and stuff and like that giant cow carcass. It's might be one of the best scenes in the entire movie. It's fantastic. It's and I think... Yep. I believe, according to uh, uh, Steve Johnson, he, Todd Masters, did that entire scene, essentially. Wow. That's, I mean, these guys. So we go from Deep Rising, which had, um, you know, pretty shitty CGI, yeah, to this that has phenomenal makeup effects. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, everything looks great because you have Robert Yeoman doing the cinematography and he's like the cinematographer for like uh, Wes Anderson and, and Paul Feig now. Like he's done like the Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, Moonrise Kingdom. I mean, dude, he's, he's done like he, he did the, the Ghostbusters answer the call and everything. He's he is a like high end cinematographer. And I think I think this movie is is elevated because of him behind the camera yeah yeah it's got those guys behind the camera i was going to point out the the composer ernest troost uh is a the i i feel like the score is fantastic mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. especially the opening score um yep. he scored uh tremors so oh, nice you know there's there's some cool uh connections there the pedigree behind the camera on this movie is insane Behind the camera and in front of the camera. Yeah, some true legends. Yeah, obviously Treat Williams. We already talked about yeah. Treat. We don't need to go down that road again. Uh, but Joe pissed off Capo. You know, as funny, as annoying as he can be uh, for whatever reason. Like, look, I grew up, my brother had a subscription to Muscle and Fitness Magazine because he was a big weightlifter. And Joe pissed off Capo was on every cover of that with yeah. his giant head and his like oiled up body. Hey, the guy eats right. He's in great shape. Amen to him. He's funny. On, he was funny on Saturday Night Live. Um, he was funny in Johnny Dangerously. He, he's had his moments. He's funny in Sidekicks with Chuck Norris. But, you know, he's he's I don't take a, I don't 
really dig him as a hero in this. I, and again, you've said it before, we don't really shit on anybody here, but I'm not a big fan of Joe Piscopo. I mean, he may be a great guy in person. I don't know. Um, his guns, his arms are amazing. I'll give him that. Oh, but, he knows they are because he shows them off every five seconds. Yeah, and, you know, he worked hard for them, so I'll give him that. I got no problem with him showing his guns off because I'm all yeah. for pretty people being in front of the, the camera, although I don't call Joe Piscopo p- pretty. His head is very weird. Um, but, man, he has... No fucking charisma in this movie whatsoever. And and I say I'm going to spout out a bunch of horrible shit that I hate about him in this movie. But at the same time, I don't want anybody else in this movie because I think him being so terrible elevates Treat Williams, elevates everybody else in this movie. But I don't know if you just watched this and then told me he was he was an SNL like like cast member. I'd be like fuck you. I'd slap you. Then I'd say, fuck you. There's no way because there's not an ounce of him that is funny in this movie. But yeah, so that's, that's where I, that's what I feel about Joe Piscopo. I, I, I am not a fan, but I do not want somebody else in this role. I, it might be perfect for him because it's so fucking terrible. I think he's actually a pretty decent dramatic actor because the scenes when he has to be like emotional or sad, he's really good at that. That was my note later when he has to cry. And I, I, I'm just all bringing it up now, but that was in my notes. I was like, uh, I think Joe Piscopo's in the wrong movie because he's actually good at like emoting. He's just yeah. bad at comedy. Yet he comes from SNL. What the fuck? Yeah, it's interesting. Um you know, Dice Man, who's so good in Fort Fairlane. And my favorite then, part of casual sex. And yeah, but then you put him in like Brain Smasher and he's terrible in that. And maybe it's just the writing. Maybe yeah. it's the writing. You, you know? He, you you have no idea how much I hate Brain Smasher. Oh, I and know. it's horrible, horrible soundtrack with the ladies singing like oh brain smasher. It's horrible. I hate that movie with a passion. Well, <clears throat> I'd say you can. Mm, I'm not gonna. You're that. like you can throw one movie away in your pile, then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, whop whop! I guess they were not doing that one. Um, yeah. So really quick, uh, Treat Williams plays Roger Mortis, <laughs> rigor Mortis. It's a cool uh, name. I'm not gonna lie. Cool, cool name. Yeah. Uh, Joe Piscopo. Joe Pistoff. Joe Pistoffcopo plays Doug Bigelow. Uh, Lindy, Lindsay Frost plays Randy James. I will refer to her as RJ sometimes in this, uh, (laughs) Lindsay Frost, uh, she's been in everything. She, she's that like kind of stereotypical blonde actress. You know, we've, we've seen them. I'm sorry to say we've seen a ton of them. And didn't she have a pretty regular role on, um, Frasier too? She did. Uh, I think most recently she was in the ring. Oh, okay. The the American version, uh, which I think is really good. Yeah. But, uh, she's, yeah, she's, she's been working in this business for a really long time. She's good. She's good. Um, just like every, like we talked about in the episode of deep rising treat Williams falling into that dark hair, light eye actor. She's like the blonde actor that we've seen a million times yeah you know yeah. darlene flugel uh shit 
Heather Lock- Heather Locklear. Like they all get thrown into the same category. Yeah. Nothing super stands out about her except the fact that she's a complete liar through this whole movie. <laughs> she is. She's a fucking liar. She's a fucking liar uh, through the whole movie. Uh, Darren McGavin. Oh man, fucking our boy. Kolchak yeah, Kolchak, the... but also Christmas Story. Come yeah. on. Dude, uh, I always love how he says bumpuses in uh, Christmas Story. But yeah, dude, fucking Kolchak the Night Stalker. Fucking love Derek M- Darren McGavin. Yeah, he plays Dr. Ernest McNabb. You know you know who he is. Of course, and uh, he also has a great uh, toupee on in, in it, too. He sure does, which he takes off. Which so is he... awesome. That's a really cool fucking moment, too. I like it that. It is. Vincent Price, and we all know who Vincent Price is, plays Arthur P. Loudermilk. Obviously, this wasn't his last movie, but it was pretty much winding down his career yeah. at this point. Um, yeah, he's he's Vincent Price. He's no uh, he's no Donald Pleasance in Halloween. I can tell you that much. And if you want to know what I'm what I mean by that, go check out our Patreon exclusive series where we do a breakdown not a breakdown but a a uh, filmography of john carpenter it's called the carpenter factor it's our auteur de force uh series and we are joined with writer and buddy david irons on that episode when we talk about halloween and we talk about donald pleasance and who who was supposed to play loomis originally who Carpenter had envisioned, and our thoughts on that. So go check out that Patreon-exclusive episode. Some of you are patrons, and thank you for being them. Thank if you. If you are not, please consider doing so. It's yes. totally worth it. Thank but you. So, and then a fun little interesting uh, side note. Um, so Steve Johnson, when he found out that they they cast you know Vincent Price, he basically sent the manager, like he basically said, uh, I need to cast a, a, a sculpt of him, like a life sculpt. And, and his manager was like, okay, sure, when do you need him? And so he actually got to cast a life sculpt from Vincent Price uh, at this age, the age he was then. And if you go anywhere, it, it's, it's actually been reproduced, this sculpt. Sculpt. Uh, if you go anywhere and see like a life sculpt of Vincent Price older, it's the one that Steve Johnson actually cast. It's been recast, remolded multiple times. Um, but because he had, because he did that, he they also had a life cast of Vincent Price when he was like in his forties or something. So you you can actually see like you have we had we have this awesome example of how a, it just as a per, how a person ages now you know because of it um but that's kind of wow. cool that's that's really a neat little thing that that he was able to sort of do and he he did it under sort of like false pretenses and everything but vincent price was apparently like okay sure i'll do it whatever you need me to do i'll do it and also just want to throw out there real quick uh they only had vincent price for three days which I, it seems obvious you know but they had to bring him back for uh some reshoots and he did them for free because even though they didn't have the budget to pay him or anything he did it for free because he's a professional he was a professional and was like if you needed me, I'll you, I, you got it. You'll have me. You know what I mean? So wow, yeah. Well, that that's that's uh, nowadays that's very rare. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Claire Kirk Connell plays uh, Becky Smithers, and uh, she was in 29 episodes of The Paper Chase, the television version of the movie that had come out back in the day. Um, I never watched the TV series, never watched the movie, but I know it was popular for law people. Okay, okay. And she was in an episode of Amazing Stories, which is a show that you and I loved back in the day. Yeah, we loved that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Key Luke <laughs> plays Mr. Thule. 
Um, I mean, Key Luke was when, you know, genre fans will know him from Gremlins, yep. but he was also, I mean, he was in Kung Fu. That was uh, one of his biggest things, Kung oh, Fu. Oh, yeah. Small, like, little cameo. Robert Picardo plays Lieutenant Herzog. Robert Picardo we love in so many Joe Dante movies. Yeah. Me, specifically, Inner Space as the cowboy. Uh, but the guy is a legend. Me, specifically, is Eddie Quisp in uh, The Howling. Joe Dante's The Howling, which we love. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Mel Stewart plays Captain Mayberry. Um, I mean, he's he's a genre actor. He's been in everything from Bride of Reanimator to Scarecrow and Mrs. King. Yeah, it's a show that I loved uh, back in the day he, very much. Yeah, that was his big show. I think that was the show he really, like, he, he did, uh, I forget how many episodes he was on on that show for, but um, he was on 89 episodes Damn. of that show. So, you know, that, that was, he was a regular. Damn. <laughs> And, uh, and I have a couple um, uh, ones that might interest you, but we can discuss them as they pop up in the movie, but I think you'll enjoy them. Yeah, I was going to point out one more, but uh, maybe I'll save them. Should I save them? I'll is save them. It, is, it, is, is it a famous writer or director that has a, a face role in it? No, it's somebody who was a former professional wrestler and then went on to uh, Professor Toru Tanaka. Oh, oh. He plays the butcher. Yes, 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 yes. The butcher. I knew I recognized him. Was he a wrestler first? He was a wrestler first, and then he was in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yeah. He was uh, Francis's butler. He was in The Running Man. He was oh, in, he was, he was, the, he was Sub-Zero in The Running Man. That's where I know him from. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, I, I, of course, I know him from The Perfect Weapon with Jeff Speakman. Nice. So and he's like the, the kind of one of the main villains in that. So he's great in the perfect weapon. Okay. Um, but he's, you know, small role in this, but nevertheless, very memorable. Stands out. Yes. Very memorable for a 80 plus minute movie. Yes. <laughs> so, um, I tell you what, my ear is about to fall off because I'm slowly decomposing. So let's get into dead heat. There's definitely something very weird going on here. <laughs> Detective Roger Mortis has a problem. He's dead. But Detective Bigelow is bringing him back alive. That's okay. Don't get up. Told you not to get up. Now, he's got 12 hours to solve the toughest murder case of his career. Treat Williams Sit down. and Joe Piscopo are dead heat. You can't keep a good cop dead. I know you love that New World Pictures logo, baby. Bruh. Oh my God. The music of the New World Pictures opening. It's so good. It, like it brought back so many feels for me. The minute it popped up, I was like, no, I could just listen to this all day long. Yeah. Add that to my workout mix. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that pops up. Then there is a simple title card, 
uh, with the the words dead heat in a cool font and it zooms into the camera. Yeah, bold choice. I very I approve. I like that that title card. Interesting makes me wonder like, okay, here we go. We're on the ride. Like, <laughs> you know, you're going for it. It's gonna be a 90-minute roller coaster ride, basically. Yeah. Eh, there's one point where it gets really slow, but that's about it. Okay. Shots of downtown LA, it's Beverly Hills. Then you see two dudes in a uh, car getting ready to rob a bank. It's pretty obvious. They're putting on leather hooded masks looking like dominatrix. Yeah. And and my note here was, if you didn't know that this was a comic book movie, and I don't mean it's an adaptation of a comic book, it's just a live action comic book, right away, like their masks right here, yes, they're kind of like that leathery domination thing, but it has a a supervillain look to it. And I have to think that that was on purpose. Oh, yeah, totally. They, they look like comic book characters, and they're about to get as colorful as a comic book could. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, you're, while they're driving, you're cut to a jewelry store where a woman is uh, looking at jewelry. And then you cut back to them, and they're looking at each other. And the one, one guy's, the passenger's looking at the driver going, come on, come on. And I'm like, <laughs> Come on, what, dude? He's driving. He's like, he is driving. <laughs> right? Cut back to the, the woman shopping in the jewelry store. She's looking at a necklace, and she goes, yeah, but I was hoping for something a little bit more suspenseful. And suddenly, you cut to these robbers pulling up in front of the shop, and they barge in, yelling, all right, nobody move. <laughs> Almost like in a wrestling announcer voice. That was. That was. And they're, of course, like one of them's packing that, that classic uh, 80s Uzi, uh, the long one, you know, not the, not the snubbed one. Yeah, there's a lot of Uzi play in this one. Hell yeah. Love, love me some 80s Uzis. They're yelling at everybody in the jewelry store. Uh, they walk up to the old lady who was asking about something more suspenseful. And the, the, one of the robbers says, purse on the counter, lady. You want to be dead? Here's the chance of a lifetime. And then she says, please don't hurt me. Uh, and then he throws her to the ground. And he's on, on the floor, grandma. <laughs> and then he checks her purse. And, he, and there's like nothing in there. It's just like hair ties and little baggies. And he goes, ah, you cheap old bitch. <laughs> Remember, this and is rated part- R, by the way. So let's not forget that. As, as funny as things are, it is still rated R. Yeah, this is... Definitely a hard R. Yeah. I'm surprised. If there was nudity, it would have been, like, X-rated yep. at the time. Uh, the other, his partner yells at him. He's like, come on, stop dicking around. <laughs> oh, he calls him Smitty. But we don't know. We only know that guy's name. We don't yeah, know the other Yeah, I don't think we know name. the other one, yeah. Uh, one of the robbers is trying to break the glass of the jewelry counters but he, with the butt of his gun, the end of his gun, but he can't. And the other guy just shoots it to shit. Suddenly, uh, there's a woman that walks out from behind, um, like a, you know, like a curtain or whatever, like from behind the in the back of the store. And she's like, "What are you doing?" And the one robber says, "Oh, just looking, just looking." And then he shoots at her, and people are all freaking out. And then his it's like, why does she says, say that? She can tell what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, duh. Yeah, there's a lot of duh moments in this. Um, and then his partner calls him an asshole and then he says, ah, shut your mouth and fill the bag. And then he starts, they start filling up their jewelry. And at the same time, one of the clerks pushes an alarm button under the counter cut to a classic red 
convertible Chevy. Oh yeah. And du- Roger Mortis, Treat Williams, and Doug Bigelow, Joe Pistoff Capo are driving down the road. Uh, Roger's driving. And Doug is playing air drums on the dashboard, looking at Roger for, uh, I don't know, affirmation? <laughs> Approval? Something? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Like, look how cool I am, man. Look, look Banging how, the bongos. Look how cool I'm trying to be, man, but not actually cool. Exactly. Roger's wearing a suit, and Doug is looking very stylish in his, like, kind of dressed-down leather jacket. With the, the Roger, biggest shoulder pads you've ever seen. Yes, to compensate for the lack of shoulders on Doug. <laughs> yeah, yep. <laughs> it was not shoulder day. It was just arm day all day you're for Joe right. Pissed Off Capote. You're right, dude. You're right. <laughs> Unfortunately. Roger is like looking at Doug kind of annoyed. And he's like, why didn't you tell me we were going to, we were going plain clothes? And Doug's like, you didn't ask. What's the matter? And Roger says, I look like an FBI agent on a Rolls Bowl float. <laughs> Okay. And by the way, Doug is eating like a hot dog at the time. Yeah. Something odd. Yeah. Because it's actually kind of funny. Uh, Dispatch calls into them like repeatedly. She's like, five Adam 38. Hello. (laughs) Doug finally picks up the uh, receiver, the walkie talkie or whatever. And he's like, what? And the dispatcher says, robbery in progress. Proceed immediately. And Doug says, you didn't say may I, which is such a stupid line. The beginning of every a million stupid lines from Joe Piscopo in this yeah. movie that apparently I think he ad libbed, uh, you know, a lot of it. And uh, yeah, yeah, there was one that I liked and I think I wrote it was so, so weird that I actually liked it that I wrote it down. So whenever I call that out, that'll be the only one liner that I actually enjoy Joe Piscopo giving in this movie. Oh, I'm very curious to see what that is. It's probably nothing great. I just, I didn't hate it. How about that? <laughs> I, I can tell you it's probably not the last line of the movie. That's for sure. No, no it's definitely not. <laughs> um, so right at, so after he says that, uh, Roger pulls a U-turn. They're like driving down Sunset Boulevard or something. He, he pulls a, like a wild U-turn. The stunt driving in this movie is very fucking good. All the stunts, all the action, A plus yep. for sure. Yeah, he pulls a he pulls a Yui, and Doug's like kick ass, Dirty Harry, and Roger's like oh, I hate to lose him this time, implying that they've been tracking these guys for a while or yeah. this this group. And did you notice that Doug's like hot dog like bun shoots off when he hangs the Yui or something? Yeah, as soon as he hangs the Yui, the the wiener falls out of the bun. <laughs> it's, that's actually funny. That that, that was funny. That was good. That's good right there. Because Doug looks at his his bun and he's like. Where'd my hot dog go? <laughs> yeah. That's, it's, pretty good. it's the best thing that Joe Piscopo does in the entire movie. And it's right in the first five minutes. Yeah. That's pretty much accurate too. Uh, and then after, you know, Roger's like, I hate to lose him. And Doug's like, well, you can't, uh, you can't get him if you're dead, man. Ah, oh, a little foreshadowing. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's when he looks at the bun and sad face. Cause he <laughs> lost his wiener. And if, if pissed off Capo ever did steroids, he probably lost his wiener a whole long time ago. Probably did, yeah. But I'm not saying he did. I'm just <laughs> saying if he did. They pull up to the scene, Doug and Raj. Well, do you notice that like when they come flying in there, some of the, the cop extras like start running to kind of go behind the car, but one of them almost miscalculates. You can kind of tell that he went a little too early. And I was like, oh, shit. It's kind of a close call. Yeah, there's there's... At this crime scene, there are cops running everywhere. I tracked, like, 
there's like 30 cops there and they're all running in different directions yeah and spoiler alert they're all gonna die they're all gonna die you just need a high body this is a high body count for sure it actually really does yeah it's great uh they pull up to the scene and lieutenant herzog ricardo is there letting him know about the situation with a with a really great bad mustache by the way and and also like you think you're gonna see Robert Picardo more and I almost feel like maybe his character got cut because it's like why have such a big name right there although I guess he's not really that big of a name but I was like oh I recognize you know I know him and then this is kind of the only scene that he's really in I feel like and if they didn't say this in the documentary you watched I feel like they cut a lot of stuff out of this movie because there's a lot of scenes where I'm like that doesn't make sense why would they do that? Yeah, there, there was yeah, there's there's actually quite a bit cut. I know of a couple scenes, uh, one of which uh, had a, a zombie Linnea Quigley uh, jumping out of a of a cake, and and yeah, I don't think it's a it was a dream sequence or something, and everyone were zombies and everything, but that that got cut too. Oh bummer! I yeah. would have liked to have seen that. Linnea Quigley jumping out of a cake naked? No, she would <laughs> never do such a thing. <laughs> Meanwhile, she does it in every single movie. Every single one. Even if we don't want to see it. <laughs> we love you, Linnea, though. We do, but I don't want to see it. <laughs> uh, Erica Leniak, on the other hand. There you go. There you go. I love, I love me some Under Siege, baby. And, and Chasers. Um, okay, so anyways. Yeah, so Roger asks Herzog uh, if these are the cash and, cash and dash boys. Herzog's like, I wouldn't know. <laughs> like, you're a fucking cop, dude. You fucking asshole. Um, and then... And then Doug's like, well, who else would pull a clown-ass stunt like this? Anyways, at that point, cops are moving in. The robbers are getting ready to leave. The Cash and Dash boys exit the store. And as soon as they do, a cop yells freeze, and they shoot him in the head. In the fucking head. Like, right in the middle of his fucking brain. And right away, you know what kind of movie you're in for because it's kind of graphic for, for a movie that had been cutting jokes up until now and and as a kid i see why this movie freaked me out because the 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 bank robbers the cash and dash boys they seem kind of harmless inside you know they don't gun anybody down in there and everything but here right away this cop gets fucking blasted in the brain and it's it's actually really fucking good and i'm like oh my god and then cops just start getting fucking decimated decimated and the cash and dash boy the, and the cash and dash boys do not because well we'll find out later why but they're getting gunned down while they're gunning down the cops the only difference is they're not going down and all the cops are and i mean and there's squibs everywhere squibs on the the, the cash and dash boys squibs on the cops cops are diving over the cars and then like the female cop behind them is getting gunned down it is it's actually an intense scene that's really well done. Like, as far as action goes, very, very well done. Very exciting. And it, it actually is going to keep getting better and end very explosively. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, it ramps, it goes from zero to 90 in, like, no time. No time flat. And Roger is, like, kind of wondering why they're not going down. And Doug's like, maybe they're just flesh wounds. Yeah, that was yeah. I mean, at least at least Roger Treat Williams gives him that look of like that was a stupid thing to say. So at least they he knew it was a stupid thing to say. Yeah, no, they they they, they play really well off of each other. It's just like he's such a cliche 
character Doug is yeah, yeah. throughout this whole thing. And I do want to I do want to piggyback to what you're saying. As much as I dislike Joe Piscopo in this, I do think Joe Piscopo and Treat Williams have good chemistry together. And word on the street is they they bonded pretty quickly uh, on this movie. So that's I do think that comes through. Yeah, something tells me that Treat is just a he's a treat to work with. He's probably just a nice ass fucking dude to hang out with. <laughs> Again, maybe that's why he didn't to get bigger because maybe he's not an asshole. Yeah. You kind of got to be an asshole in this business to yeah. get ahead. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, yeah. So he decides to take things in his, into his own hands. He asks if he can, he asks Herzog if he can borrow his car. Herzog yells out, absolutely not. Which is funny because <laughs> all these cars are parked all right in front of the store. And you with and a lot of cop cars are getting shot to shit, but miraculously the Chevy convertible classic is not Herzog's car is not for the moment. Roger gets in Herzog's car, drives off, and shoot. And, and he d- does one drive-by with his shotgun out. It's a really cool scene because he, like, pumps his shotgun and blasts one of the guys. Yeah, did you notice he, like, pumps it on the door, like, on the door frame, sort of, like, out the window. Like, he's resting the, the slide, and he kind of does it like that, like, with one hand. I was like, that's really cool. And he, and he only doesn't really do much on the first pass, which is also cool because usually, you know, the hero always does their their big thing like this and it's always perfect the first time but it's almost like he didn't miss but at the same time it didn't quite go the way he wanted because he has to spin the car around you know yeah which he does do very uh very soon after but prior to him doing that doug runs up to the scene and is shooting at one of the bank robbers um one of the bank robbers i think it's smitty yeah it's smitty and he pulls out a grenade to throw at doug but Doug blasts his hand, forcing him to drop the grenade. And what um, does Smitty say? Smitty looks down and goes, uh-oh. <laughs> Literally just like that. Uh-oh. I, I love how he delivers uh-oh. It is fantastic. But yeah, you're right. He goes, uh-oh. And then kind of like has to hold it because then it's gonna the explosion's going to happen. It's like chunk or it's like sloth from uh, goonies <laughs> it is it is <laughs> and he explodes it guts everywhere. <laughs> it's a good it's actually a really good like fake body explosion oh every explosion's <laughs> great in this and there's a lot of them every fake body is great in this too yeah it's so good um so roger flips a u-turn and circles back around and this time as he's circling back around there's one robber left he drives directly into the robber smashing him between herzog's car and another cop car uh, killing him dead again absolutely fantastic stunt great effect uh absolutely loved it and i love this entire shootout i was i was hooked the moment that got that cop got blasted right between the eyes i was like this is it. I'm on board for this movie. And you know what? Never fucking lets me down at all. It's a it's the it's a great opening. It hooks you right away. Um Roger gets out of the car, goes over to the body, Doug looks at the body, and he starts reading his rights to him. You're under arrest, you have the right to remain disgusting. <sighs> and Doug sa- and Roger says, Is this necessary? And Doug's like, eh, can't be too careful. Herzog walks up angry, saying, that's the craziest, stupid, most dumb fuck stunt I ever saw. Meanwhile, 20 cops just got killed. Yeah. So reality side of this, who gives a fuck if your car is smashed? You killed these dudes that were gunning down every single cop in Los Angeles. So you're welcome, Herzog. 
This reminds me of, I used to read the Terminator comics for that Dark Horse put out back in the 90s, uh, and it was like the third series, because, you know, over the, with the Terminator comics and the aliens and everything, they don't, like, have ongoing series, series they just have, like, little mini-series. And, uh, like, the third one or something was really cool because it started with a Terminator, you know, coming back in Los Angeles, but, like, in the middle of, like, East L.A. or something, but the whole thing starts with... He's fighting the this one Terminator is fighting the entire like city of Los Angeles cops and it's just it's almost like an entire issue of this one Terminator just gunning cops down left and right and it's really it's kind of cool I mean I'm not condoning gunning cops down but you know it's interesting no 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 and and this this I almost feel like I wouldn't be surprised if this opening scene inspired that like issue that story arc in in the Dark Horse comics because it almost was like this how just they couldn't stop it because it's a fucking Terminator but it just destroyed every cop out there and it was pretty wild. It reminds me a little bit of uh, the that movie The Hidden and I'm surprised we'll, we'll probably cover that movie at some point too. I, yeah, similar deal. Just people just getting blasted to shit. Yeah, and uh, like senseless. These are the movies that you know the parent council was like we don't want to show these to young people because they'll go off on a killing spree. Meanwhile, I saw this when I was 12, so yeah. there you go, and so did you pretty much. So Yeah, and neither of us went on a killing spree, but then, you know, those come later with different movies, so I think yes, they, were, exactly. they were wrong about Dead Heat. <laughs> <laughs> they were so totally wrong. So, yeah, Herzog's freaking out, um, you know, after he says his line, Roger goes, Please don't thank me, Lieutenant. I get my thanks from helping others, which is actually really funny. <laughs> and that's and Roger dog... saying that. That's Treat Williams. That's not Joe Piscopo. The funny thing is, the, the uh, any comedy that's funny comes from fucking Treat Williams and not Joe Piscopo. Yeah, it's true. They're both like kind of wise asses in their own way. And uh, and Herzog's, you know, you better believe the captain's going to hear about this. Uh, and Doug, Doug goes, gee, you think he'll want a word with us? Cut to Captain Mayberry's f- f- extreme close-up to his face, fuming, going off on both Doug and Roger. Which is a great editing technique about how they're talking about it, and then you basically cut right to them getting chewed out. Totally getting chewed out. Uh, he's running down all the things that they're, all the things that they've done to violate being cops. Not to mention 18 parking tickets in two months. <laughs> there, there is a funny ongoing gag about the par- parking tickets. <laughs> yeah, that is actually pretty funny. Yeah, I, I wish like they would follow through with that a little bit more throughout Ag- this thing. Agreed. Agreed. Even to the point at the end where like Roger gives Doug a parking ticket. He's like, you left this behind or whatever. They should have followed through on. Or, or had somebody towing the car and he had to like get the car off the tow truck or something, you know, or yeah. I, I don't know. But I, I'm with you. There was a joke uh, there that kind of it does sort of unceremoniously end. But it's a fun little through line of how many parking tickets they get. I will say this. Uh, throughout the entire film, I could not figure out whose actual car it is. Is it Treat Williams or Joe Piscopo? I think it's Treats because yeah. I think there's a moment where Doug is when, when they leave each other. And Doug is walking in the vicinity of a Dodge Daytona. And okay. I think that's Doug's car. Okay, gotcha. That's yeah. my okay. feeling. But Doug says to the captain, he's like, Captain, this man pointing at Roger, he's like, this man deserves a medal. And I think I deserve one for saving his life. <laughs> and then the captain admits that they, they did the job. Herzog couldn't. So he cuts him a little slack. He says, but it would be nice if you could earn it by catching the rest of the cash and dash fuckers and slamming into the wall with a 12 inch railroad spike. (laughs) 
And then Roger's like, we're working on it, Captain. Work harder. And they leave. This is a funny scene coming up. You're not referring to the part where he walks past the nun, are you? Yeah, this is stupid. It's stupid. It like could have been so much funnier. So Doug, they're walking. Doug and Roger walking out of the captain's uh, office to their office throughout the police station. Doug says, "Fine men, Captain Mayberry, make a real good gym teacher." Which is stupid. Yeah. Like, how about drill sergeant? Yeah, yeah. And and then and then he walks past a nun, uh, I guess giving like a report on something, and he's like whispers at her, "Call me Thursday." And it's like I'm like, it's it's just not even funny. Like you're not even what? Call like, me Thursday to a nun? Yeah. What the like, fuck? I, I, you know what would have been funny is if he looked at the nun and he goes. See you next Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been hilarious. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but instead, he's like, I love this job. I love the perks. And he starts running down all the things that he gets with him. Like, I don't care what you're saying right now. You really don't. Because yeah, he's, not... he's so ridiculous looking. Joe Piscopo is a ridiculous looking human being. But he you has go... amazing arms. His arms are amazing. So they go into... <laughs> the office their office and he takes his jacket off to to flex with his tiny gray t-shirt with the sleeves are like capped so high yeah and the neck is so big on this t-shirt it's so weird it's like a mock turtleneck and it's tucked in i got this thing about tucking in your t-shirt it's a t-shirt for crying out loud and his pits are always sweating and wet always sweaty because he's probably you know righted out uh allegedly and um and he's like, you know, give me the rundown, Roger. And Roger says, so far we've got six robberies, three banks, two jewelry stores, and a gold and a goldsmith shop. Goldsmith shop? Yeah. Uh, okay. All all the past three weeks, all in the same nine block radius. That's when Doug takes his jacket off and flexes his muscles and sucks his stomach in while he's eating. Yeah, and plays darts or something. Yeah, it's just playing it's, darts on a map, <laughs> and um, and Rogers watching a news recap from the robbery shootout. Apparently, Martha Quinn from MTV is the voice of the the news re- like anchor. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. That that was my era of 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 MTV back in the day, the Martha Quinn era. Yeah. Uh, and she's she says that you know she's she's saying this is the most violent string of robberies in city history. She says you know, two of the cash and dash men were killed. Doug's playing darts, and he asks Roger how many are in the gang. I'm like, how long have you guys been on this case, and why are you having to ask Roger all these questions? If yeah. you guys are like detectives on this specific case, then you should be the ones to know this. And then I go back to the captain saying Herzog blew it. If this is Herzog's case and they showed up in the seat and they say, is this the cash and dash guys? He's like, how should I know? Yeah. What kind of cop is he? Yeah. Like, I love this movie. I'm yeah. not getting, I'm not, sh- I'm not saying I don't, but the writing is pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. No, I see what you're saying. And, and I don't really, I didn't really notice it 
at the time. But yeah, you're right. It's like, yeah, why why wouldn't he know that? And then why here? And yes, of course, it's dialogue that is trying to inform the, the viewer. But you can do dialogue like that without making your main character sound stupid. Because you'd be like, why don't you know this? You should know this. But they're trying to be like, okay, we need to give the audience some some dialogue here. And yeah, or some information here. But I, I'm, I'm with you. It's, it's weird. Because there's other times where the writing is tight. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. And like, that adds up. But then here, I'm like, yeah, that doesn't add up. And you're bringing it to my attention, which is not a bad thing. I, I'm, I'm thank you for doing it. And it doesn't bring the movie down at all. But it's not as tight as it could be. It, it, it's, it's not as tight as it could be. And it could easily be fixed where Doug could say, Roger, I don't get it, man. We've been on this case for nine weeks. The, the, these robberies are all over the place. They're this, they're that, they're this. I don't know how many guys are doing this. Yeah. Like, play like you know what's going on versus, Roger, tell me what's going on. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It just makes him sound stupid, yeah. in my opinion. No, you're right. You're 100% correct. And I like that fix better. Well, thank you. I, I try. <laughs> so, so that's when... Um, they're kind of speculating who these guys could be. And then Doug says, you know, if you shoot them, they don't die. And Roger's like, well, some drugs do that, like PCP. And Doug says, nah, that's bullshit. Oh, okay. Sure. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Yeah. And PCP does do that. I know. And that was a big thing during the 80s, too. Like, we used to hear about it on the news all the time about, yeah, PCP, like, cops couldn't take him down. He was on PCP, man. Whoa. Then it became bath salts, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, eating people's faces off in Florida and everything. What is that? Is Like, is that a thing? Bath salts? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. I'm not a... I'm more of the um, the psychedelic drug guy. I don't really know much about the PCP side type drugs, so Come I don't on, really when's, know. Come on, when's the last time you ate a laundry pot? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Detergent pot. Anyways, phone rings. It's I'm going to call her Smithers, but it's Rebecca, Becky. Smithers calls, says she's got something for them in the morgue. Get down here as fast as you can. Cut to Roger and Doug in the car. And as they're driving, Doug asks Roger if he's ever wondered about his death day. And and this is so weird because, like, the 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 shot of them driving is only like five seconds long. <laughs> like you didn't need that, For and that it's scene. and it's ADR'd. Like it's voiceovered him talking about the death day, and then the conversation you know goes keeps going into the morgue. And I'm like, why did you even film that little shot of them driving? You know what I mean? Like it was just it was weird. It would make more sense once they were in the morgue looking at bodies. And Doug's looking at the bodies, gro- grossed out, and he picks up a tag, and he's like, "This guy died yesterday." Yeah, you know, I wonder if he. I wonder if he knew the day he was gonna die. Yeah, right? the, yeah, and be like, "Oh, did, I wonder if he had a death day party or something." And by the way, the with the Linnea Quigley uh, dancing and uh, zombie thing, it was essentially like a quote unquote death day fan, not fantasy, dream sequence that he had. But it was basically Doug? him, him and Doug. Uh, no, I think it was it was Treat Williams or Roger. But it was but Doug was in it, and I think it was after. Doug died, like you know what I mean, because he was he was kind of uh, uh, swollen looking, and there's actually some makeup effects where he's got like a swollen face and he has water coming out of his mouth. I think it's all from like a dream sequence, essentially. Oh, cool! Yeah, I would have loved it. Yeah, love to. I'll be watching the extras after this. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so they're they're now in the morgue. They're looking at a really cool dead body corpse, um, and they continue to talk about the death day. And Doug's like. Let's say your death day was April 23rd, and somehow you knew that, and you could have a death day party. Roger's, like, looking at him like, 
what the hell? And that's when Roger says, you have passed weird, Bigelow, and you're, po- you're approaching degenerate. <laughs> and, and the whole thing about the death day was not as clever as the writer thought it was. To, so much so that, you know, turns it into like a cornerstone of the movie. And you hear, it's like, he's like, oh, you could have it. You could be having sex with a girl. You get a hot girl and this and that. And I'm like, okay, so like, so you're just going to like, what if you get shot or you're getting hit by a truck or something? Like, I just, none of it made sense. And I was like, I would have cut the death day discussion out of the dialogue. But boy, oh boy, did the writer double down on it. Yeah, because... Because Doug's getting super passionate about it. He's like, you know, you can get, yeah, find a beautiful lady right in the heat of passion just as you're about to. And that's when Smithers walks in and says, sorry, did I interrupt something? Last night's conquest. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just like, nah, not really. Nah. Yeah. Doug's just talking like an idiot again. <laughs> Doug, Doug's just a moron. Don't worry yeah, about Roger's it. Roger's like, hardly, which is actually kind of funny. And Smithers says hi to Roger. And they have this like little back and forth and you immediately get that they were together at some point because, uh, you know, Roger's like, how have you been? And she's like, I have a phone, Roger. Using the mutilated remains of street scum as an excuse to ask for my health is not exactly what I call thoughtful. And Doug goes, and you call me degenerate. No. No. It's more like, oh. No. Yeah. Every one-liner that comes out of Joe Piscopo's mouth everyone lands like a fucking wet noodle wet noodle so roger's like you know what's the story why are we here and smithers pulls back the sheet to reveal a grotesque body it's one of the cash and dash guys and she points out a scar on his chest and she says he's been here before i certified him he's a corpse and she shows pictures of one of the cash and dash the cash and dash guys when they were originally in the morgue oh yeah at the same time, Dr. McNabb walks in uh, <laughs> with, a, with a sweet toupee that you can see the line where it's, you know, glued to his forehead and everything. So great. A la like William Shatner. Yeah. And he goes, well, we all make mistakes, Dr. Smithers. Like he immediately just launches into this thing. He, he immediately launches into it. But also at the same time, he comes in with so much greatness. You know what I mean? Like the moment, every single moment he's on the screen, I am so happy to see him. He is fantastic. And he, he's, he's the right amount of, he acts, he actually, there's a bigness to his acting, but it's not too big. It's the, per, he's the perfect amount. Joe Piscopo is wrong in every way, shape, or form. He, Kolchak the Night Stalker, is the perfect amount of zaniness in this movie. I totally agree. Uh, he reminds me in many ways, like his, his character, uh, his, his like bravada uh, reminds me of um, Kevin McCarthy. You know, the guy in inner space yeah. uh, who's yeah. the, the cowboy. Yeah. He reminds me of that guy. He reminds me a little bit of, um, oh, God, uh, we, when we did the Hitchhiker, the Hitcher episode on, on TV Obscura. Oh, yeah. The, the doctor. Yeah. Um, Robert Vaughn. He reminds me of like a, more of a bumbling Robert Vaughn or like William Shatner in his later years. It's that kind of same cadence that like it's overly overacting but done in a way that you love it even more. Yeah. Like you want, I'm totally fine with this overacting. Yes. Not Doug's overacting, yes. but his. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because uh, Smithers, you know, he's like, oh, well, we all make mistakes. <laughs> Smithers <laughs> yes. is like, well, I don't, I don't sign death certificates to someone who's not feeling well. 
And McNabb goes, well, the fact remains, either you screwed up or these two boys got up after you were done and strolled out of here. (laughs) And then Smithers is like, I never forget a body, doctor. And she walks off all pissy. And then McNabb turns to Doug and Roger and says, in five years, she'll be good. But right now, she's too quick to jump to fanciful conclusions without really digging for the truth. And that, gentlemen, is what autopsies are all about. <laughs> Meanwhile, Doug's like playing with forceps or some sort of weird tool while he's talking. And he mumbles, asshole. That's actually funny when Doug says that. Yeah. When Doug mumbles, asshole. And he goes, oh, I beg your pardon? And he goes, oh, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. And McNabb goes, Oh, yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> and, and I liked how he's like, he's holding those tongs or something. He's like, what are these yeah. for? And he's like, you are. You wouldn't want to know. And that line is delivered fantastic. The whole, you don't, you wouldn't want to know. I love it. It is so funny. Yeah. It is, yeah. It's perfect. From there, you cut to Smithers in her office smoking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I noticed that right away. Right away. Reading a file. Uh, Roger walks in with uh, two cups of coffee, asks if she wants one. And uh, or she wants one sugar or two. And she's like, two, but I gave it up. Then takes a big old drag off her cigarette, which at first you're like, but you're smoking. Roger says, I thought you gave up those. And she goes, yeah, well, I kicked one bad habit for another one. So she gave up sugar for cigarettes. Yeah. So, okay, sure. Okay. Okay. Uh, You know what? Current studies show she might have made the right choice. Really? Yeah, weirdly, um, and I don't think they actually should have announced this, but current studies are showing that cigarettes don't cause cancer as much as they sort of thought they did. But I say, who cares? Like, I say they're still not good for you. As as an ex-smoker of 20 years, I don't think they should have released that information. I think it should have just been the way it was because I don't think they're good for you, period, you know, at all. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, yeah. fair enough. But, but sugar is actually very bad for you. True, it and, is. And we have sugar in everything. And we do. And I'm, that's probably one of my own only vices. Yeah. That and coffee. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, Roger walks in. He's like, look, I came in to give you moral support. And he walks over to She's got a fish tank on her uh, office files. But the fish tank is frozen? <laughs> yeah. Um, sure. And wouldn't that thaw out eventually? Well, it's not frozen. It, what it has, I, what I understood or what I took as... It's all, they're all like, it's probably all solid and it's like gel or something, but it has like a, like a frozen, a frost frost that's clearly like fake aesthetic on the outside. And I think that's a part of the aesthetic. I think it's supposed to look frozen, but also be fake. I don't think it was like a movie thing. I think it's a thing that's like you and I could buy if we were back then type of thing. Okay. I'll, I'll give you that. It could, because why would you spend so much time on making this one little gag? It has to be something you can just buy. Because why would you put it in there? You know, why would you spend I, the money on this? I agree. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and she and he's like he looks at uh, Roger looks at Smithers and goes, "Don't you believe in fish that swim?" And she goes, "No, they're just as pretty, and I don't have to feed them." My whole thing was, were those fish real at one point? Like, are those, like, plastic fish? Or are those fish that were, like, put into some kind of gel and, like, call, you know, allowed to just freeze in place like that? This I'm was thinking the 80s, and they the did hurt animals. I think, it's, I think it's probably the latter. Also, because we know that they used some real live uh, duck, uh, um, not live, but dead ducks later in the, uh, the butcher scene. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, there you go. Smithers says... 
What about those corpses? Do you believe me? And Roger says, there's something weird going on here. And he asks her if there's anything else strange about those guys. And she says, well, I found something in their skin tissue. Trace quantities of sulfith... I knew I was going to have a hard time saying this. <laughs> Trace quantities of sulfathiazole, a drug used in bacterial infections. And I'm like, oh, okay, I, I, this tracks. I, I, I can, I dig this part, actually. Mm-hmm. I think this is, this is a cool, like, connection. Um, and she's reading a printout, and she says, Dante Pharmaceuticals recently purchased 50 kilos of sulfathiazole. From there, you cut to Roger and Doug outside of Dante Pharmaceuticals. And Don, and Doug says, you do the talking, Raj. I'm not sure how to phrase this. And Dante— You're a fucking cop, dude. Yeah, you, you fucking idiot. And Dante Pharmaceuticals is very interesting looking. Um, it's where they filmed uh, Biodome uh, years later. It's the same building. Really? Yeah, the Biodome with—what's uh, his name, right? Um, yeah, and you know Biodome's based on— like a real place in yeah. the desert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, real, yeah, real place that. Yeah, I remember that dude back in the '80s where they were dude. testing that shit out. That bio, the biodome thing was big in the late '80s, early '90s. Yeah, if you got, if anyone's interested, there's a great documentary about that. I think on HBO Max, maybe. Okay. Uh, just a weird cult that, okay. that had the best of intentions, but it just obviously didn't go the way it was supposed to. So yeah, they from there. Roger's like, let's just tell the truth. We're looking for someone who hijacks dead bodies and brings them back to life to rob jewelry stores. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> they walk into the front desk, and there's a security guard at the front desk, um, quote, reading a porno mag, a penthouse. He's reading it sideways, if you catch my drift. He's just fucking staring at the centerfold like a fucking... <sighs> Just like a fucking goon, like an absolute goon. He's sitting there staring <laughs> at the centerfold. It's, I was like, Jesus Christ. They introduced themselves twice, but the dude is like so engorged. I'm oh, sorry, engrossed in his centerfold. <laughs> uh, Doug finally grabs the mag from the dude and says, Sorry. <laughs> This is actually funny. He goes, "Sorry to interrupt your erection, pal, but we're we'd like to speak with man with the management." You know what's funny? That was a good That's line, funny. and and I didn't track it uh, because I think that was part of the script. It's it's it's. I think Joe Piscopo is fine when he's reading the joke from the script and not ad libbing something at the end of a scene. You know, that's that's the problem I have. I think this joke was actually the writer's joke and Joe Piscopo delivered it fine. And that's great. It's his ad libbing that sucks, which, again, is ironic because he has a fucking SNL background, which is like, you know, just improv and sketch comedy type of shit. Like, my God. Yeah. No, I I hear you. I hear you. He's too focused on his biceps, I guess. (laughs) Guess so. Uh, The security guard wipes his nose. disgustingly yes agreed and makes a call for miss james cut to a shot where it's like such a cliche shot of a sexy woman quote unquote where they pan from her feet up of a woman uh, of miss james entering and i think Uh, even the security guards like ogling her too like all three of them are are ogling them and yeah it's the typical camera starts at her feet and then goes up and she's a beautiful woman she has a fantastic legs um but yeah it's definitely the 80s and she's definitely like meant to be ogled right here i'm not disagreeing with you that she's that she's attractive but i'm just like 
if she's supposed to be <laughs> well she's not dressed like overly sexual that's the weird yeah. thing like so they're ogling her but she's actually dressed pretty cons- like normally like conservatively you know she's just wearing yeah. a, a, a skirt that's no big deal yeah you you nailed it right there because i'm looking and i'm like it, it'd be one thing if she was dressed like scantily yeah right and they were like oh my god but she's dressed like a very normal professional person and they're like oh my god and like have you guys seen there's a, have you never seen a beautiful woman before in your entire life? Yeah, exactly. No. And and that's and that's just 80s movies right there, you know, and and where it, where women fall and in the role that they play, you know, and Yes, true. She's the quote femme fatale of yep. this movie, right? Yep. So so yeah, so Roger and Doug introduce themselves to her. She's Randy James, Dante's PR person, and they ask her about the sulfatia so they ask her about the sulfathiazole. I'm glad I didn't have to say that. Jesus, I may just say sulfa, and they and they ask what the drugs for, and she shows them, and she takes them on a tour. While she's taking them on a tour, she explains that the pharma, that, that that this company makes cosmetics, personal for personal hygiene, toiletries, things everyone uses, but no one likes to talk about. And Doug says tampons, hemorrhoid cream, stuff for crabs. <laughs> <laughs> oh man did you notice the amazing 80s pictures on the wall uh like the set decoration as they're walking through this scene oh it's great it's the set so, decoration's great the, dude the set design in this movie is fantastic and and half of that's because of the awesome 80s decoration that they use decorations that they use in in everybody's apartments and everything but uh here specifically i really liked the pictures on the wall on the walls like multi it's like they have like five or six pictures they're they're so they're so 80s so impossibly 80s so impossibly 80s and also something that is kind of reoccurring in this a lot of magazine reading in this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah actually you're right you're right i didn't track that but you're 100 correct yeah <laughs> from penthouse to omni yeah from there she she's doug sees a attractive scientist walk by and he's like sorry i, I gotta do some research and then Roger like pulls him back, reels him back in, doggy. And Randy says all their products are tested on animals. And Doug goes, great, the dog gets skin cancer, so we don't have to. She goes on to say that sulfathiazole is a widely used drug uh, up until the 40s when it was replaced by other compounds, but we still use it as, as an antiseptic agent and skin ointment, herbal skin ointment. Roger says, I hope I don't offend you, but he pulls out the bodies of the uh, photos of the dead bodies of the robbers and asks if she's ever seen them before. She's like, never. Can't say I regret it either. As they're walking through the offices or the, the, the building, uh, Doug asks about a room. It's called the, well, I call it the asphyxiation room, but it's, uh, I think it's labeled like, no, I, I think, think it, it is labeled asphyxiation. It, it is. Labeled asphyx- <laughs> <laughs> it's labeled asphyxi- yeah. It is labeled asphyxiation room. Yeah. Uh, but it's like a decompression chamber. And uh, Randy says that it's sad but necessary. When we have to kill an animal, we put it in here. The room is airtight. The the air gets sucked out in seconds, and the animal perishes quickly and quietly. I'm like Jesus. That's horrible. Yeah, that is it is pretty horrible, and and it looks pretty horrible in a little bit too. That's when Doug. Kind of funny. Says, "Didn't I see one of these at Disneyland?" <laughs> Stupid, but it's kind of funny. <laughs> uh, Randy wants to wrap up the tour. 
Doug walks over to another room and he says, what's this room for? And, and it's it, the sign on the wall says, uh, dangerous chemicals, no admittance. And Randy says, oh, it's for toxic waste products. And then like kind of dismisses it off. And Roger says, oh, yeah, that seems to be about it. But Doug says, uh, I got to go take a leak. So, I, I got to I gotta take a leak so bad my teeth are floating in here. Uh, where's the little boy's room? I, I just got to go pee-pee. I just got to go pee. Like, so what I hated the most was that last little thing he added on to it. I thought it was fine to begin with. And then he's like, I got to go pee-pee. And I was like, God damn it. And that's when I wrote the this. That's where I tr- put the note. Everything Joe Piscopo says is not funny. And I'm just like, just go away, Joe Piscopo. But yet stay here in the movie because I, I love you in this movie, but you're absolutely fucking terrible. Yeah, just 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 go. Go go pee pee and never come go, back. Go pee pee. <laughs> so he goes pee pee while Randy walks Roger out to the lobby. Doug sneaks back into the main hallway and breaks into the quote uh, toxic waste products room, and with he uses his his visitor badge to like basically rig the electrical to make the door open. Yeah, he shorts it out. Yeah, shorts it out. He walks into this crazy looking lab. Um, th- there's this thing in the center of the lab that looks like a. Well, actually, the the poster art has the machine on it. Yeah, yeah, it's like a giant circular. It's not a bed, but it's you can put a body on it. And there's like a thing above it and everything. But honestly, the the set design in this room, and you see more of it, I think, later, at, like in the climax. There's these cool panel things around it too that are just really well made. Like this, the design of it and the and, and the craftsmanship of this set is fantastic. It doesn't feel low budget at all. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. It looks looks cool. There there's something on this machine uh in the center of the lab under a tarp, and, yeah. Yeah, it's under a black tarp. And uh Doug walks over to and to the machine, lifts up the tarp, and it's a mutated biker zombie that jumps up and starts kicking the shit out of Doug. Hey everybody, Corey here. I just want to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Imagine being one of the last people on Earth, being trapped alone with something not human, something always watching, something always waiting. What would you do? Where would you run? Where would you hide if you were haunted? For seven winters alone. Podcasting After Dark presents Seven Winters Alone, a dystopian haunted house story by David Irons. Available now in paperback and ebook. And now, back to the show. Yeah, so apparently in the script, it was supposed to have no face, and uh, uh, Steve Johnson was like, yeah, but. Yeah, I don't know. No face. What if we give them three faces? And and apparently the studio is like, oh, that's even better than what we were hoping for. This is great. And and it's an interesting looking creature design. But, you know, I start thinking about it and I'm like, it's not an experiment, though, because they don't do experiments in this movie, which I think would actually be kind of cool. Putting people together like by pieces and then bringing yeah. them back to life with the. But they don't d- dive into that. So that's literally what that 
person technically looked like in real life. You know what I mean? So he was a big fat biker with three faces, which is fucking terrifying, actually. It, it is. Maybe it was like Rocky Dennis's brother. Who? Rocky Dennis from Mask. You remember Eric Stoltz? I'm scared. I'm too scared to watch that movie. I'm afraid. I, I don't like um, medical deformities. They freak me out. And that's. Uh, and I know that was prosthetic, but I'm very much uh, too scared to watch Under the Skin because there is a, an actor in there that does have a, a, a. You know, I think it's the Elephant Man thing. And I'm so sorry. I don't mean to be like disparaging of anybody, but I think it's like, like that whole thing. And I, I can't, I, I'm too like empathetic. I get too upset for somebody like that. I, I can't oh, watch yeah. it. You know, mask mask is mask is a classic. Yeah. You shares should, in it, but, but at least like, but there that's Eric Stoltz with prosthetic and under the skin. That's what that actor looks like. And you know, that's great and all, but it just kind of freaks me out. Sorry. <laughs> I feel bad. I just feel bad deep, for saying that, but it's true. That, that's my truth. That's my truth. <laughs> that's my truth. That's my truth. So from there, you cut to Roger, cut back to Roger saying goodbye to Randy. They kind of have like a flirtatious moment uh, while the security guard, they're right in front of the security guard, and he's reading his fucking penthouse. Of course. By the way, uh, he starts apologizing about Doug's behavior. Roger does, and they're flirting. Cut back to Doug shooting the biker zombie. Roger hears the sound, pulls out his gun. Security guard pulls out his gun, too, and shoots at Roger. Yeah, like, immediately. Like, right when there's sounds of gunfire, he goes to shoot Roger, like, immediately. Roger blasts the security guard, (laughs) shoots him, and then says, excuse me, to Randy, and he runs to go rescue Doug. There's an alarm sound. This is like it, it gets continued. It just gets more bonkers from yeah. this point on. Yeah, it does. The, the, the alarm sounds uh, cut back to the biker zombie beating the shit out of Doug. Roger runs to help putting his arms around the biker. Roger asks what this thing is. And Doug's like, it's very ugly. <laughs> and they're battling it back and forth. Um, the zombie knocks Roger like kind of down and he starts to fall back and he accidentally falls into the decompression room. Doug is thrown into the button of the that closes the door to the room. As soon as the door closes, Roger starts shouting for Doug, but Doug has his hands full with the monster. Uh, you, you, you see this puppy at some point, like in a cage right by the room, like looking at him all sadly. Because <laughs> he was going to go in. They were going to put him in the decompression room. Now he's just like watching all of this unfold. And then yeah, you, right. And then you see uh, somebody's hands come in and start pushing buttons for the decompression room. Yeah. So in, so while Roger's in the decompression room, there's a two way mirror on the wall, one of the walls of the room. And on the other side of the mirror, you see buttons. It looks like uh, the claw from Inspector Gadget. Yeah. You just see the hand go up and push a button. Yeah. It's, and, and of course, sud- it's gloved, too, you know. It's gloved all dramatically. And suddenly, you see a countdown on the front door of the, ch- of the chamber, uh, like an oxygen countdown. 90%. Oxygen, 90%. 80%. 70%. Et cetera, et cetera. Doug is beating down the zombie. Uh, so he shoot it, he shot it, but it doesn't kill it. Yeah. But then he takes a fire extinguisher out and he beats it down and that's what kills it. Okay. I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, cause I didn't know where to say it. They don't do a good job of sort of informing you what kills these zombies. Cause no, some of it's them can, all over the place. It's all over the place. And it's one thing that if I would fix 
I mean, I'm not saying you have to make it headshots every time, but there, it's very inconsistent about what's going to kill a zombie and what isn't in this movie. It, it's not a big deal, but I did notice it. Yeah. it Again, it goes to the writing. Yeah. I think the writing is just like, it's it's not very good. No, I think I think they had they had a great premise. I think uh, what Terry Terry Black had a great premise already, and and that was kind of the the hook. And yeah, everything else is maybe not as strong, but the premise is great. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, Roger is struggling for air while Doug is finally finishes beating down the zombie. Uh, he runs to Roger, but it's it's too late. He can't get into the room. He's banging on the walls of the door trying to get it open. The security guard, the porn crazed security guard, is stumbling back in to the hallway, shooting at Doug. Doug's it's kind of cool. Like he slides over, uh, avoids the shooting, slides to the ground and grabs another gun and slugs the guy three times in the chest. The dude struggles and finally falls over yeah joe piscopo his action stuff is fine like he can do that fine it's it's the comedy stuff um but then my question is that security guard was a zombie then right because he got shot by tree williams comes out because he didn't look like he was like holding his stomach or anything he's like i'm gonna go back to my duty so he was he was a zombie wasn't he i guess so but then he can be shot he can be killed with bullet bullets but the biker zombie couldn't yeah my only takeaway was that the biker zombie just had too much mass i mean he was a big boy he was all fat and everything because later on most of the zombies can get shot except for the cash and grab guys yeah it's it's inconsistent it's horribly horribly inconsistent of how much damage the zombies can take before they die agreed (laughs) yeah and then and then the only other pushback i'll say is why doesn't Doug shoot the window out of the decompression chamber? Exactly. Like, he doesn't even try. He doesn't even... T- you didn't even try. I would have had him try to shoot it, but it have it be bulletproof because it's so thick. Like, have it crack a little bit, but, like, he unloads a whole clip into it. Try something. But, no, he just pounds on it. It's like, dude, you have a gun. Fucking shoot the glass. But, yeah, he doesn't even try that. Yeah, he doesn't. And, instead, he beats on the... He beats on the wall... He beats on the door trying to get it open... You see Treat Williams struggling for air. You hear a heartbeat sound. Uh, Roger's eyes roll back, and he drops dead to the ground. Doug slams the door and screams, Roger! All dramatically. Actually, it's really, really well acted by Pissed Off Capo. Yeah, and so is the next scene. Cut to the aftermath. Cops are on the scene. In the lobby, Doug is sitting in a chair, just looking so depressed. And like tears in his eyes. Yes. Yeah. Like emoting very Joe Piscopo in this scene is emoting fantastically. It's it's really great. Um Smithers shows up, asked what happened, asked where Roger is. Doug says Roger got locked in the decompression room and died the way dogs are supposed to die. No, actually, no animal is supposed to die that way. Just want to put that out there. Yeah. And then, and then very dramatically, he's like, if I just got that fucking door open, it's great. It's yeah. really well acted. As bad as Joe Piscopo is at comedy, ironically, is, is, is as how good he is at dramatic acting. And I think, too, uh, and clearly this is at the fault of the writer, if this would have been more emphasis on the drama than the comedy, I think would have been more popular. I think the comedy actually maybe holds it back a little bit. 
Yeah. yeah. You know, the constantly the constant one liners. It, it it works in Monster Squad because it's a bunch of kids and kids are funny. It doesn't work in this as yeah. much, to, in my opinion. I think it should have been a little bit more deadpan. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm with you. I would have maybe trimmed some of the comedy, mostly coming from Joe Piscopo, you know, in, yeah. in this. Yeah, I think you're right. I think now I think some of the comedy does kind of keep it held up later in life, but I think right now, I think back in '88, it might have hit better if yeah, if if it didn't have so much of it. I think, yeah, if you made the comedy about the absurdity of everything and Doug and Roger are the straight men, like, what the fuck is going on here? Well, and, and, you know? and my takeaway was from the talking, uh, listening to the director talk, I think he was trying to do that. Um, and he was trying to have the, the comedy come from like later on when Tree Williams gets in that shootout with a zombie and they're just shooting each other with like bullets. And he's great like, I, th- I think and that scene's great because but he's like, I would have even had that scene. I originally had that scene actually go longer um, because the comedy comes from the absurdity of it. And I think he's correct there. And I think that Joe Piscopo, maybe maybe he just wasn't a strong enough director because this is his first feature that he just couldn't rein Joe Piscopo in or whatever and he was or he was concentrated on too many other things but yeah i think a better director would have maybe cut half of joe piscopo's one-liners and forced him to maybe stay on on the script a little bit tighter than maybe this director did yeah agreed agreed smithers says that she wants to see roger you cut to smithers placing her lab coat underneath roger's head in the decompression room, which is kind of funny because it's like he's dead. Obviously, yeah. need that for his head. Um, and she's like, "Oh, I thought you were an indes- I thought you were indestructible, Roger." And you see Doug sitting behind them, just looking sad as fuck. Um, Smithers is like, "What exactly happened?" And Doug says, "He's like, forget it, Becky. You wouldn't believe me." And she goes, "Try me." Doug takes Smithers into the lab where he found the body smithers is looking at the computer monitor nearby and she's like typing in on it and she speculates that whoever used this uses sulfathiazole as a preservative until they get these bodies on the machine uh she said she starts typing in statistics about roger she writes his name roger mortis time of death 1145, cause, vacuum-induced embolism, asphyxiation. Uh, She looks up and she says, this is how they do it, Doug. This is how they resurrect the dead. Dramatic music, dramatic music. Doug doesn't believe her, and the computer flashes to the computer and it says, place body on table. Cut to Roger on machine, uh, on the table of the machine, and Doug looking on dramatically. Smithers typing in on the computer, uh, and... Around the, 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 the surface of the table that Doug is lying on has like these weird glass tubes all around it. It reminded me of those things you use with your hands, like those needle things you push your hands through and yeah, right? Or your face. Yeah. I would always do my face or my yeah. tongue. They, they always yeah. had those like a sharper image or something uh, where you could yeah, make the, the Indian. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is I, I was literally going to describe it the exact same way if if you didn't go that route. Uh, oh, and it's cool. We're 
yeah we share the same brain that's right and it's a cool look i like it and also too you know what i i don't have a problem with it all in this movie is just how they explain the resurrection thing like of all the shit that we shit on with joe piscopo and some of the the script and everything and in the dialogue i got no problem with the resurrection device like in in the way they explain it in the way that they kind of just accept it you know and everything and it's that's i'm fine with that i'm fine with all of this I'm totally fine with it too. It's this is the inconsistency with Doug's character because what he's about to say next doesn't really track with just the way he acts throughout yeah. the whole thing. You mean when he goes, but what about the soul? The soul, Becky. What about the soul? It's yeah, because, that was yeah. way too insightful for for Doug for a meathead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, Beck uh, Smithers is saying how Roger's in remarkable condition, and Doug's like he's dead, Becky. And she's like, it doesn't matter, Doug. Seems like someone's learned how to revitalize dead tissue like a starfish grows new limbs. What separates life from death? And that's when he's like, but the soul, Becky, what about the soul? And 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 the way he delivers it, it just, it seemed like it was more, it would have been like more fit if it was in Dawn of the Dead or, or Night of the Living Dead remake. It's just like, it's like a big question about zombies and stuff. Like that's a big heady question. And he just throws it out there and they just move right past it. And she's like, or she says something like, Oh, they figured that out too. And then boom, we're done. We're done with that question. Yeah. We're like, we don't got time for this. It's 80 minutes. Let's go. (laughs) This is an 80 minute action horror comedy. We're not diving into some heady shit right now. No. And, and then Doug's like, what if he wakes up like some mindless idiot? And then she goes, well, then I hope you shoot him in the head. So I, I like the fact that this this goes by the zombie rules. Yeah. Or at least they're uh, well, aware of it. They understand how it works. They're aware you know? of it, but no one shoots the zombies in the head in this at all. You notice that? There's no brain shots. No, there's only one brain shot in the entire movie. And that's that fucking cop at the beginning. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I guess and then Kolchak, the Night Stalker, later, but uh, we'll get oh, yeah, to that. To himself, right? <laughs> uh, but no, but then he gets brought back. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, she pushes a button and suddenly electric surges through Roger's body. And it's very dramatic. His body's shaking. The music is heightened. And then suddenly the, the lightning and static shock is off. He stops moving and he just opens his eyes. He sees, he's like hey guys <laughs> so, yeah doug he sees doug and smithers looking at him he's like hi guys he's so and happy and goes, peppy right away yeah smithers goes you're alive he goes of course i'm alive must have taken a hell of a shot back there though and doug asks him how he's feeling he's like i i feel and he asks smithers he's like what are you doing here and she's like we'll explain later roger finally says i feel terrific incredible Woof. It's great to be alive. <laughs> and he hugs Doug. And then Dr. McNabb on cue walks in and he's like surprised to see Roger alive. Smithers asks Roger what's the last thing he remembers. And Roger says that they were at the lab looking around. Uh, Doug was fighting this thing. He gets locked in a room and then he must have blacked out. I was like, and then I was like, I was rushing towards a bright light or something. And then I looked down and then I saw myself, my body just lying there. And I reached out to touch it, and then I got hit with like 10,000 volts. And McNabb says, well, it's uncommon, but it's happened before. Clinically dead people reviving at the last possible moment. Smithers says, uh, Smithers is checking, Smithers is checking Roger's heartbeat. And she says, Roger's been dead for over an hour. 
And McNabb's like, what? What? <laughs> and she goes, we literally brought him back. I'm not getting a heartbeat, by the way. And Roger checks the uh, stethoscope himself, and he doesn't hear anything. And he's like, well, there's obviously something wrong with this. And this is funny because McNabb's like, give it to me. I'll check. And he puts his arm around Roger, like, super dramatically. Yeah, like, yeah. Come here, buddy. <laughs> yeah, what's that? <laughs> and he's and he's putting his... Uh, He's putting this, the stethoscope on his chest, and he looks at Roger, and he goes, well, you're, you're faking it. And then he wants, he's like, I want you back in the lab for tests. And Smithers says he's dead. And McNabb doesn't believe it. And, he's, and he goes, well, I, I need to go tend to some real corpses in the other room. And he storms off. Smithers feels Roger's hands, and she's like, oh, my God, they're ice cold. And he, like, jerks away from her? Yeah. Like, dramatically? Like, yeah. why would you jerk away from the girl who used to jerk you off? <laughs> and, sorry. And uh, <laughs> and he does, and his hand hits a glass beaker, which cuts a major artery on his arm open. And you'd think there'd be blood, but he looks at the wound, and you see where there should be blood. There's, like, sparkly stuff. It's like his, I don't know if his blood's crystallized. And it's, it's interesting. I actually kind of like it. But then it doesn't come back into play at all, at all. later. And and it's like so it was, cool. It is cool. And I like that there's, you know, like it's a cool effect. And I'm sure it's because it's an it's an effect. That's why we don't see it too often because it affects all cost money. But man, I would like to have seen it later. Like in his in his wounds on his face or something. Get like maybe have a reflective metal or something to give it that that look to it. It was a cool idea that just doesn't come back into play at all again. My feeling was that like the the blood is crystallizing sure. and it's losing its substance okay. and it's fading away because suddenly the that that effect goes away and it's just like empty in his arm. Yeah, and and maybe like it only is like that at the beginning when you first come back. Like if you cut somebody open after they first come back, but it fades away or something. I don't know, but it's cool. It's a cool little effect, yeah. even though. He hits the glass with, like, the back of his hand, and it cuts, like, the inside of his wrist. But, yeah, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So Smithers and Doug just look at Roger, and he's like, wait a minute. I'm no deader than you are. And Doug says, Roger, th- this is a resurrection machine. Cut to Doug and Roger in the lobby of the pharmaceutical, and Roger doesn't believe it. And Doug's like, just minute by minute, man. That's the only way to live anyhow. Okay, cool. Now you're now you're like dramatic guy, but that it's fine. I'm fine with that. Smithers walks up to them and says, "Roger, uh, you haven't heard the worst of it." He goes, "I'm dead, Rebecca. How much worse can it get?" Exactly. She tells him that the resurrection process has its side effects: the decaying of tissue. He's got ten to twelve hours tops, and then all of the cells will dissolve into kind of a organic stew. Doug asks if. He can go back in for a recharge, and Smithers says, this isn't a toaster oven, Doug. Come back to the lab. Maybe we can do something about it. And Rogers doesn't want any of that. He's He wants to nail whoever did this to him. Yeah, ticking clock. I mean, he's got 12 hours to do it, and I, I get that. I like that motivation. And also, by the way, I like movies that have a ticking clock like this. Yeah, because he, he's literally dead on arrival. Yep, <clears throat> yep, yep, DOA. <clears throat> Reference to the movie that it mm-hmm. was based on. Uh, and then Doug's like, I'll personally rip out his heart with my bare hands, hold the heart in the palm of my hand, and we'll watch it stop beating together. And Roger goes, 
that's that's good, Doug. But let's find him first. <laughs> and I like to actually really like that exchange because I, I I really buy that 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 Doug is upset and he doesn't know like what to do with it. You know, he's angry, he's upset, and I buy their relationship because as much as I think he's a that that Doug is a goomba, I do think that Treat likes him. You know, or, or that Roger likes him, and I think they get along well together. And I do like their chemistry together. I agree. I agree. Uh, Roger first wants to find Randy James and he tells Smithers they'll meet her at the lab and she's and she yells out to both of them she's like 10 to 12 hours Roger don't throw it away don't throw it away cut to Roger and Doug in their convertible and now Doug is driving yeah, this and is Roger, why it kind of threw me off because like there's it, it'll go like one scene Doug will be driving, one scene Roger will be driving. And I was like, who actually owns this fucking car? Because it's pretty fucking cherry. And if I were Roger, I don't think I would let Doug drive it. Maybe they share it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> cherry car. And uh, Doug's Roger's like, I feel fine. But then he's looking at himself in the mirror and he notices his lips are like gray, which are almost like blue. And he's like, oh, I got to fix this here. Let's go to the nearest drug. Let's go to the drugstore. They go to a drugstore. He comes out with uh, lips, lipstick. And Doug asks, what, what did he get? And he goes, mulberry wine. (laughs) And Doug goes, it's a good choice. Brings out your eyes. And it's like his, that, you know, it's Doug. It's pissed off Capo doing his quote unquote, you know, gay impersonation yeah it's just it's such a product of of its time and everything um it's it doesn't hold up well and and again it comes back later like they doubled down on joe piscopo's you know gay uh impression and and yeah and i use quote unquote because it's 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 not realistic, but it's it's that comedic version from the 80s and, oh, I'm a real strong masculine man ask, acting all feminine and therein lies the joke and everything. And it's just, nah, it doesn't work. I don't think it worked then, uh, but we, you know, people put up with it and everything, but yeah. it does not work at all now. It, it doesn't. And, you know, it, it's funny because um, this scene, like this sequence here, it doesn't, it just doesn't flow really well um yeah and and they could have easily just said in passing you know uh doug could have said to roger like when he was dead he could have been like man we've been through everything together for the past five years we've been together you know yeah like give a little bit more depth to who they are like roger could have been dead and doug could have said some joke that could track later on in the movie you know, yeah, uh, you you're you told me that, you know, if 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 one of us was ever going to die, we're going to go out in a blaze of glory or something like that. But they didn't. They no. could have easily done that, though. And then and then here. And I agree with you. I totally agree with you, too. And maybe even the joke that he tells over Roger's dead body would actually be funny, like the funniest one. And he doesn't laugh because he's dead. Um, yeah. But here. Uh, uh, saying the same line of like that that lipstick brings out the colors in your eyes but say that straight just say it like like joe piscopo's normal voice that would have been funnier that would have been comedy right there if he just said it like like completely unfunny you know what i'm saying yeah like hey that's a good shade it actually really brings out your eyes you know but they couldn't do that like you couldn't do that at all back then you couldn't do that and roger could have easily just looked at him and been like what and then and then doug could have said 
you know, I used to say that to my ex-wife all the time. Yeah, yeah. To get that her to get off my back or and, whatever. And not do the gay, like, voice or anything like that, you know? Yeah. But as much as that is not funny the way that they did do it with Joe Piscopo and everything, in the next scene where, where they run into Randy and Treat Williams is, like, talking to her at the beginning of the scene with, oh, like, lipstick funny. on his face, but doing it completely straight-faced, that's funny. That yeah. works. And again, all the comedy that actually works comes from Treat Williams. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, because Treat's like, how do how do women do this as he's putting the lipstick on? And Joe, uh, Doug's like, I don't know, tribal memory? Like, whatever. It's stupid. Anyways, uh, the two of them drive to Randy James' house. And as they pull up, she's in disguise trying to get in her car and split. Uh, and they, they confront her. They grab her before she gets in her car. And she looks at Roger and she's like, what happened to you? Because he's got... <laughs> full-on red lips and he goes oh, i cut myself shaving and then doug's looking at roger and like giving him the sign like wipe the shit off your face and kind of does a sideways thing where he gives him a handkerchief so randy can't see and he's wiping off the the rouge off his lips <laughs> but see that's that's funny that that's whole funny. thing was that scene was funny right there that was funny randy says she's leaving because she got scared they bring her into her house to question her while Doug is uh, takes his jacket off and he pushes up his biceps and he's pushing him. Oh, he's got his arms crossed and he's doing that technique that Uncle Rico does in uh, Napoleon Dynamite where he's making his biceps look yeah. bigger. Yeah. yeah. But that was funny. This is like him being serious. <laughs> Did you notice when they first walk in there? First off, her, her decor is amazing, but there is this yes, weird agreed. device over sort of next to her that they don't call into, like, they don't really make note of, but I paused it, and it's the size of, like, almost the size of her, but it's a telephone with a TV on it, so basically it's for, for video calls, right? But it's the size of like a freaking like a uh, um, you know, water fountain, essentially, maybe even bigger. But it's right next to her. It's got like a TV monitor and a, and a telephone next to it. And I was like, oh, my God, like that's Skype. That's like the original <laughs> Skype device, you know, the original <laughs> Skype device. Yes. Yeah. But she has she has some great uh, uh, decorations, some great 80s decor in this oh, apartment. It's, it's classic 80s. Yeah. Her couch is like uh what is it, zebra skin or yeah. zebra print or something like that, or uh, white tiger print, I think. This this movie is worth watching for the decor alone. She's got a sweet VCR, which you're going to find out about yeah, in a second, does. too. Um, and Doug says, uh, Roger said, tells her that he, he got decompressed and he wants to find the guy who did it. She says she can't help him. She doesn't know anything. Uh, Doug starts going through her purse. She gets pissed off, but he's he's pulling out. She's got clothes in there. He pulls out a pair of panties, and he's like, "Oh, extra panties! Dead giveaway." <laughs> just stupid. Jesus really. Christ! <laughs> and uh, pulls out a VHS tape. They take the VHS tape, pop it in a sweet VCR. The screen pops on, uh, and it's Vincent Price. Vincent Price lying in a bed, dying. Oh and, no! <laughs> and he says, "Princess, this may be the last time I ever talk to you, and I want you to know certain things that I was unable to say until now." Said, and then suddenly, right before he says anything else, uh, there's gunshots in Randy's like back sliding door, 
and shatters the sliding door and two mutated zombies come in. I will refer to these two zombies because I, I was like, they don't have names. I'm just simply going to call them uh, Zombie Dana Carvey and Zombie Bubba Smith. Okay, so Zombie Bubba Smith is played by Dewan Scott. And uh, the reason I bring it up is because he was in two episodes of Misfits of Science, show that we covered on TV Obscura. So go check that out if you haven't. And Buddy... The what did you call the, the other one? Zombie Dana Carvey. Zombie Dana Carvey is played by Pons Mar M A A R, and uh, bro, he played Sarod in the Masters of the Universe movie, the reptilian bounty hunter that Skeletor kills, aka my favorite character in the movie. And of course, like when he died, when that movie came out, uh, I saw it in theaters, eighty-seven. I was nine years old. When he died, I immediately thought of Boba because he was my favorite character and I go of course of course he fucking died and that's when I realized that I only like characters that have barely little screen time really cool designs and die in the movies that's when it kind of like solidified my lot in life but Sorod, I loved that fucking character and he fucking died he was so cool looking but yeah this fucking dude played him man that's funny because he's like licking his lips and making weird mouth movements. And I'm like, oh, it's like he's acting like a lizard. It was one year prior. So, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, he still had it ingrained in him. He's like, this is what I was going to do as Sorod. But it, now it, I look like a zombie Dana Carvey. And the other one was uh, giving me vibes of the zombie from the beginning of Night of the Comet. Totally. The alleyway totally. zombie. Great, great callback. Yes, I agree. I agree. They start shooting at... Uh, Roger and the, the 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 three of them, Doug and uh, Randy, run through the the like from the living room. They run in the in the in the bedroom area to the outdoor area of the house, uh, and they don't get shot. But Roger goes to shoot back at them, and he gets pelted a bunch of times by the, <laughs> by their guns, like dramatically yeah and it kind of spins him around he gets shot in the back too it's and it's really good squibs it's fucking awesome and also like i like it when machine gun fire hits the person there's squibs but there's also um like stuff going like bullet hits going off on the wall behind them because it kind of just shows that like a bunch of bullets are hitting them and they do that here and all the bullet hits are fantastic so good so good and doug Yells out, remember the good old days when guns kill people? Mm. <laughs> it's kind of funny, actually. I feel like and that they, was actually scripted, like a scripted line, you know? And that's yeah. why it was funny. That was why it's funny. The, the three of them run to the back patio area while they're getting shot at. Uh, they go and hide. The zombies come out, and they're look, looking for them. Dana Carvey zombie looks into a hot tub, which has a table next to the hot tub with a boombox. <laughs> foreshadow just keep that in mind and then uh bubba zombie is raped by like a like a like a pool like the, the, something like a shed that holds your pool shit in it yeah yeah and he punches through the door of that shed and he pulls out doug roger comes out of the water of the hot tub and pulls dana carvey into it and they start beating the shit out of each other uh, Roger eventually gets out of the hot tub and throws the boom box into the hot tub, electrocuting zombie Dana Carvey. A.K.A. Sauron or whatever his name Sauron, was. <laughs> yeah. Doug uh, is fighting Bubba zombie and gets knocked into a table that has like a umbrella 
He takes the umbrella, half the umbrella stand off, like the spiky part that goes into the ground, and he shoves it into Bubba, who eventually falls into the nearby pool. And this is what I this is where I realized I didn't quite understand what was killing them. The electricity, totally understand. But then the Bubba zombie, he, yeah, he just gets impaled, falls into the water. You would think that he would like get up shooting, but but doesn't, you know. And and I don't know if we, we didn't really sort of touch on it, but these two guys are totally zombified looking, right? Like they're totally yeah. zombified. So you gotta figure they're at the tail end of their twelve hours, I guess. And this is, you know, me, guys and gals, and of course Zach does. This is me like world building. So I'm like, okay, but how did you motivate these guys to, to be goons for you? Cause you bring them back to life. You know, do you tell them that like you're, you know, you do what I say you're going to do. I assume what you do is you tell them, do what I say. And then I promise I will fix you and extend your life. And they don't know that that's impossible and they're going to melt regardless. You know what I mean? Um, so I was just trying to figure out like, what would you, the motivation to these goons be? Right. Well, it's it's tracks with Doug later that they maybe have been dead so long that they're brain dead and they can now be manipulated. Oh, God. yeah, good point. You're 100% correct. When they're quote-unquote brain dead, then they can just be sort of manipulated and told what to do. We find that out later with Doug. Um, okay, good call. You're right. I should have used that knowledge here. Okay. But regardless, like both of these zombies, if they didn't fulfill their task— they are going to be puddles in probably about an hour and a half anyways. Exactly. Randy walks out from the carnage and she says, what's going on? And Roger says, looks like someone wants you dead. And she's like, I just play a tour guide. I don't know anything. And then she storms off. Doug walks over to Roger and says, Roger, you were underwater for five straight minutes. Can you teach my girlfriend how to do that? Ugh. God, Jesus fucking Christ. And that right there seemed felt like a a Joe Piscopo line. Oh, it's totally Joe pissed off Capo. Like his whole shtick is, hey, where's the chicks at? You know, I'm this cool guy. Look at me. I'm a hunky boy. You're no, dude. Look at my shoulder pads. Oh, they follow Randy inside her house. And she's staring at uh, her fish tank, which was shot to shit. One of two fish tanks, one is still fully intact, by the way. Yes, I noticed that. Uh, and she's staring at the dead fish in her fish tank, and she's and she's bummed out about it. And Doug's like, you can get more. And she's like, these are the blue damsels. They're my favorite. My favorites always die. Was this necessary at all? No. Like, it doesn't come back. Uh, no. She never calls one of them like her favorite. Like, There's nothing about this little scene right here that comes back into play at all, and it doesn't nope. even like come into play like in the next like immediate seconds. So like this is like 30 seconds that easily could have been cut. I agree. And then, miraculously, the television that was playing the VCR, or the, the, the VHS tape, just turns back on. Yeah, that was weird. That's one of the weirdest things ever. And ever. both times when I watched it, I was like, why? But why does it turn itself back on? Yeah, it turns back on and, and, the, and it continues to play the video. I, I would, and, and you know what? Take out the shot of the fish, show a shot of Treat Williams stepping on the remote by accident and then turning it on. Nice job. Thanks. Nice job. We fixed it. <laughs> yeah, we said we're fixing everything tonight. Like fucking Bob Vila and shit. So, uh, Vincent Price back saying, Princess, I hope you understand what I'm trying to tell you. Always remember you are very special to me. He mentions if he if she has any questions, he should uh she should talk to his lawyer, which never comes back, by no, the way. No. 
Uh, like you would think that then, tracking him down would have been through the lawyer. Yes, maybe. I have major problems with the how, how they get to like the final, like how they yes. actually get there and figure out who it is. Because it doesn't, the continuity does not match up. No, story wise, fucking body. Anyways, knock. Roger, yeah, so stupid. Roger recognizes the guy on the screen as Arthur P. Loudermilk, and he goes, "Didn't he just die?" Randy goes, two weeks ago, he's my father. She asks Roger, why uh, why aren't you, she's looking at him and he's all you know, riddled with bullets and she's like, why aren't you dead? And he goes, they can't kill me. I'm dead already. She doesn't want to deal with anything that's going on and Roger says they need her help and vice versa. She confesses that Dante was her father's think tank. They researched everything. Lie number one, by the way. Yep. Roger says, uh, lie number two, I think we're on with her, maybe. Yeah, because she's Roger not says her father, including, yeah. Roger says, including the Resurrection Project. Um, she says they delivered sulfathiazole to a guy named Thule in Chinatown. Say sulfathiazole and Thule five times fast together without your tongue twisting up inside and going down your orifice I, i'm gonna do uh, in the i'm gonna write in the uh, show notes that uh <laughs> drink every time zach fucks up saying sophisiathal or whatever yeah because Corey's <laughs> probably gonna cut out some of them but some of them he won't yeah i'm gonna uh, leave a few in just so people can drink <laughs> please do because i'm terrible with this pronunciation um roger threatens to arrest her if she doesn't help them and if she doesn't take them to Thule's location, while Doug's like sucking his stomach in and pumping his chest out. Yeah, he's it's posing. so distracting. Yeah. Uh, and then Doug's like, hey, Raj, you know, you should probably change your clothes, man, because he's covered in bullet holes. Uh, Randy says that she might have something that would fit him. And Doug has some stupid banter of like, oh, some guy's clothes. And she's like an ex. From a long time ago or something like that. Yeah. It's so stupid. I didn't even track it. It's not even necessary. Nope. Cut to Roger combing his hair. Combing his wonderfully beautiful hair. Treat Williams' hair is magnificent. Gorgeous hair, but he's combing it over and over and over and over again, like obsessively. But clumps are coming out of his hair. He starts freaking out looking at the clumps in the comb. And I'm like, welcome to being middle-aged when your just hair falls out. Uh, and he opens up the medicine cabinet mirror that he's looking at to put the brush back in, to, closes to, to the put mirror. the brush back in that still has a clump of hair on it. Yeah, because he's going to leave that like yeah. a calling card. Closes the, mir- the door and flashes and in the mirror is a zombie version of himself just like oozing and gross. It's the jump scare that we've seen done a million times before this and a million times after this. And it's usually pretty effective, but at this point we all know it's coming whenever you close a goddamn medicine cabinet. Even if it were in like a comedy movie, if if the camera's looking at the person closing the medicine cabinet that's a that's a you know mirror, I'm gonna expect to have something pop up behind them, you know, at this point. Yeah, I'm actually okay with this. Yeah, uh, it's a cool moment because because clearly it's like he's losing his mind because he's dying. Yeah, yeah, and he's fucking scared. He's freaking out. He's internalizing it. Yeah, I this yeah. is fine. Like I have no problem with it. It's just it's a trope that we've all seen done a million times. Yeah, uh, he screams and then it cuts back to him in normal time. Doug says, "Hey, are you okay?" And he goes, "Great, fabulous." 
Cut to Roger coming out into the living room wearing like a Miami Vice outfit. It's pretty fabulous. It is fabulous, actually. While Randy is reading an Omni magazine while he, she's waiting for him. Oh, I love And Doug's Omni. reading Interview magazine with a cover uh, with with Eddie Murphy on the cover, which I think is a inside joke. Yeah. Yeah. It's SNL. Yada, yada, yada. Because they're buddies. Yep. Right? Uh, they get in their car to drive off, the three of them, and there's a parking ticket. Roger asks how many tickets this is this month, and Doug says, what do you care? And and Roger goes, good point. And that's kind of where the parking ticket gags end. I, I'm with you, man. I wish there was a bigger payoff for it or whatever, but okay, fine, whatever. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Mr. Dookie Flyswatter and the Haunted Mirage! If you took 80s slasher movies and put it in a blender with metal and punk rock, you're gonna get Haunted Garage. Dookie and his crew were almost like making horror movies, horror punk. But the gag is, you're in the splash zone. There was this real fervor at the time about shock rock and how bad it was for the kids. I look over and I see Dookie with his arms on fire. The flashes from the rear end. He got brain surgery live on stage. That was the raw stuff. You walk out of there feeling like you've maybe left the planet for a little while. Their legacy is they were unique. They did things that weren't being done, and they did things that were outside of people's comfort zones. Dookie was always just uh, ahead of his time on that. But it really rocked hard. I mean, he had really good musicians in the band. We didn't want it to be only this deep. We wanted it to be this deep. It's Haunted Garage. That's the whole point of taking things too far. He's an icon of the underground exploitational genre. Punk rock god of Hollywood. G.G. Allen, but fun. He's like a friendly vampire. He was L.A.'s Peter Lorre. <laughs> you need somebody in a movie, that's the guy that you want. He puts everything he's got into it. He made his whole life his art. I think that the whole world should know about it. And now, back to the show. Cut to the three of them arriving in Chinatown. Doug is going on and on about all the Chinese food he wants to eat. That's kind of like a running theme for the beginning of this movie. It's him talking about how hungry he is all the time. Yeah. But that that also taps out eventually. Yeah. Cut to Thule's uh, market, like his butcher shop. And Professor Toru Tanaka <laughs> is chopping a chicken leg or a duck leg. And they... And they say they want to talk to Thule. He doesn't respond to them. Roger keeps telling them that they're the police. They want to talk to Thule. He puts the badge, his wallet badge, in front of Toru on the table in front of the cutting board. And Toru chops it in half, which is funny. <laughs> and Treat Williams, Roger, is so crestfallen when he looks at his, at his wallet cut in half. Actually, that right there, like the re facial reaction of Treat Williams is one of my favorite like things in the movie. He's just like, why? <laughs> why did you do that? It's a great wallet. <laughs> it's really funny. And then Doug grabs Toru and he goes, listen, Mongo, we're cops. If Thule's not out here in 10 seconds, we're going to kick some honorable ass. Oh, yeah, that's a nice little racist joke. Oh, so racist. Suddenly, Thule comes out and tells Randy, always a pleasure to see you. Thule, Thule comes out and sells him a mogwai. <laughs> right. 
Uh, Roger asks to see the man who takes deliveries for Dante Pharmaceuticals. And he says, you found him. May I help you? And Roger wants to know where what Dante sent. Uh, and Toru pulls out pulls a cleaver, like pulls the cleaver up like he's going to charge with the, at them. Roger and Doug pull their guns out. And Thule says, nothing of importance. Life and death are both experiences of the same eternal spirit. And then Doug says, you ought to write fortune cookies, pal. Yeah. And Thule says, let me illustrate. And he pushes a button under his counter, which is the exact same button that they pushed in the uh, jewelry shop. I'm like, oh, everyone has the same button. Oh, I know. (laughs) I noticed that. (laughs) I was like, oh, you basically just popped the little uh, thing off of the table for that scene and just glued it on here. I was like, I I know what you did there. I'm cool with that. I'm fine with with that. that. Got no problem with it whatsoever. (laughs) Yeah. He pushes a button, and then above them is, like, an overhead lamp that starts raining down lightning. I'm like, oh, this is straight out of, like, Big Trouble in Little China at this point. Yep. Which came out a couple of years prior. Had maybe a little bit of an influence in that regard. And we'll be getting to it on the Carpenter Factor in a few months. We sure will on our Patreon-exclusive Carpenter Factor, which you all should check out. Toru Tanaka charges at Roger uh, with his cleaver. Roger knock. Roger punches him with one punch and knocks him out. Uh, Thule in the in the melee escapes. The lightning that's shooting out from this lamp is causing all the animals in the market to reanimate. So, and this is going to be an amazing scene. I got no problem with it whatsoever. But the world that they're building is at this point. It's just the electricity that's bringing people back to life from whatever devices these are. And obviously, I got no problem with there being like a small resurrection device in his, you know, whatever, chandelier thing. Okay, fine. I I can buy that. But all the stuff that they told us before, all the things that you need and everything, that's all a lie. You just need the electricity. That's all you need. It's almost like Frankenstein, you know? It's exactly like Frankenstein. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're right. And so, yeah, this is this is a crazy scene. Crazy scene because all the animals are coming to life. Uh, like a liver yeah. uh, jumps off of a counter and hits Roger in the face. So now he's battling uh, a liver. And, and he's like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's great because, like, Tree Williams is doing a great job, like, you know, having it on his face and fighting with it. But, yeah, I love him yelling like, what the fuck? <laughs> right that's funny yeah that's uh, funny <laughs> doug is battling a pig and he's like talking shit to the pig which is stupid but the pig looks fantastic the that's, pig looks that's great, the though. weird thing about it like all the dead animals in this and she like randy's getting attacked by by ducks that are like cooked and everything all the dead fake animals are fantastic looking they are, but but Doug's saying things like, I'm never going to eat meat again, or now yeah. I'm going to be a vegetarian, it's, like this running gag. It's, it's like, dude, one-liners. you're killing the scene right now. Yeah, yeah. You know you know, you know, know what the sound should be every time he talks? <laughs> beep, beep. <laughs> um, and so Randy is getting attacked by ducks. Uh, her hair is getting pecked at. Doug uh, shoots the pig in the mouth, like knocking its head off. Toru Tanaka, the butcher, jumps up out of nowhere and chops Roger's hand after he gets the the liver off his off off his face. Chops his hand, almost cuts his hand in half. It's a great yeah. shot because it like splits it in half. Yeah, uh, and he shoots and kills 
the butcher with one bullet. Or like, Roger does. I'm sorry, Roger Doug, Doug does. does. Yeah. Sorry, Doug, Doug shoots him and kills him with one bullet. And then I like how Doug's like, oh, it only took one shot. Like, he, I like how he remarked that. And I think, didn't Roger say, like, they're not all zombies or something? Yeah, yeah. And he grabs, like, a towel to wrap around his hand temporarily. Yeah. And then you hear, you see the, 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 the refrigerator door, uh, like, getting banged on. And opens up, and out comes a headless bull corpse that it's, attacks Roger. It's fantastic. It looks amazing. It's done well. Everything, everything about the scene is fan fucking tastic. Aside from Joe Piscopo's dialogue, Roger is uh, battling the the bull. He gets it off of him. Doug helps him, and Roger shoots the lamp and explodes the lamp, uh, overhead lamp, and all the animals stop moving because the lightning stops as well. Did you notice that like that one duck like splits into like four pieces or something? It's really, it's yeah. really gross. Yeah. Some of the animals are just like falling apart, which is disgusting. Yeah. And then and the bull Roger... or the cow like melts or something. I'm just like, Oh my God. It's, yeah. it's the, it's, it's good. I mean like in a good way, you're like, I'm disgusted by it. Oh yeah, totally. Because Doug's next line is okay. Now I'm going to puke, which is actually funny. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Good, good job. Pissed off Capo. You nailed one out of 25. <laughs> right. They Roger says Thule's gone. Uh, Randy looks at Roger's hand and says, hey, you're hurt. And Roger goes, lady, I'm fucking dead. <laughs> and then he walk. Roger and Doug walk off and she goes, well, it doesn't give you the right to be rude, which is really funny. I actually liked the, that whole little exchange right there. I thought that was yeah. good. They go into the back office of Thule's uh, shop. And they start looking around. This is funny because they start throwing shit around. And Doug goes, you know, you can never find anything good until you trash the place. (laughs) It's just funny. And that was the line that I wrote down. And I said that was Joe Piscopo's best line in the movie. And I agree with you. That was funny. I fucking like that because he says it. And he just knocks a piece of glass over something (laughs) gleefully, you know, because he knows what he's doing. That was a good line. That was well done. And I think that was probably scripted, too. I, you know, and it's funny because I thought about, I'm like, in every cop movie, they always trash yeah, every place. Yeah. And now, like that, now they're calling it out. That's that's good. That's finally. funny. That's that's a good line right there. Yep. Doug's looking at uh, a machine on the table that is like has wires hooked up to a duck head on a piece of like metal. And he turns it on and the duck head comes to life and starts quacking. Zombie duck head. <laughs> Roger even looks at it. He goes, oh, zombie duck head. What a concept. And then Roger gets all excited. He finds a piece of paper. He goes, he goes, we got him. (laughs) This is so funny. He goes, we got him. And Doug walks over to look at it. It's a piece of paper. And he goes, it's dates, (laughs) dates and initials. Like, how did you fucking know in all in this, in this office that this little piece of paper that has initials on it and dates, this is the incriminating evidence they needed, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, for me, I think I enjoyed it because uh, uh, I think Roger, like, grabs the duck by the mouth, the bill, to kind of keep it from quacking, you know? Like, at this point, he doesn't even fucking care anymore. He's like, you know, a severed duck head quacking does not bother him at all, and he just, like, fucking pinches the mouth shut. That's- yeah, Roger finally turns, Doug finally turns off the machine to get it stopped <laughs> living. And Doug's like, this is funny because he's like, dates and initials. What does it mean? Roger goes, I don't know. (laughs) He goes, but that last one, APL, 
Arthur P. Loudermilk? That's a stretch, dude. That is a fucking stretch. I mean, yeah, he, it is. I, I will say that I've seen cop movies that have a that have a thinner stretch than this one. So you know, this is pretty thin though, because because <laughs> Roger goes, it's a list of death dates. Like what? It is. Yeah. And then and then he goes, uh, Doug says, who do you think they are? And Roger goes, well, only one way to find out. And cut to the three of them back in the car. Doug's driving Randy and Roger in the back seat. And Randy is sewing up Roger's hand uh, very nicely, by the way. And Roger's looking more deathly. After she sews up his hand, she uses her teeth to bite the string and just like cut it, I guess. Yeah, I was like, why is this scene even necessary? But I think, you know, looking back and I think what you called like how the the butcher knife kind of I think it was supposed to be more damaging. And I think she was like putting his hand back together, but it just didn't come off that way. And I was like, why do we need this scene at all? You know, you, it, it, you don't I because I mean, you're supposed to get the sense that they're they're interested in each other, but it doesn't they don't do enough throughout the movie to really define why they would be interested in each other other than just being attracted yeah yeah there's nothing else other than attracted i I think you could have cut this scene right here this scene in the car her stitching them up and it's only like a minute it's only like 45 seconds not long at all but i don't think it's necessary to be truthful she this scene could have been 10 times better if while she's sewing them up she said you know i'm sorry i didn't trust you guys or i'm sorry that i led you guys astray um you know, thank you for saving my life back there. Yeah, because th- this scene doesn't inform anything about the characters, any of the characters. And and that's why it feels useless, because there's nothing yeah. there that we don't already know. You know, no, and Roger could have said, you know, uh, I may be living on a short sentence, but I can still appreciate uh, a beautiful woman or something. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. You know? And so they arrive at a library. Which oh. I think it's not it's not L.A. library. It's like Beverly Hills library. I yeah. Think. Yeah. And uh, and Doug's like, oh, I never been to one of these. Never been inside of one of these. Just shut up. Just shut St- up. Joe sh- Just shut up. Shut up. <laughs> this 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 is the beginning of a sequence where I'm just like, oh, yeah, really brings down the energy. Yeah, the pacing opinion. up until up until this library scene, the pacing is just boom, 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 and then yeah, I mean, luckily that when it does drag it's very short because the movie itself is very short but it's noticeable in this scene right here yeah because this cuts to them looking through uh, obituaries and newspapers of people and roger's got a stack of newspapers and he gives them out to everybody and doug's like hey can i have march which is, doesn't mean anything and then doug says while they're looking through the papers he goes this is amazing how many people have died in the last three months many of them i haven't even heard of <laughs> stupid so dumb so, so terrible dumb. roger is uh randy is reading the names of deceased people like a guy who was the denim king uh then a microchip wizard and other millionaires and then roger goes see a pattern and doug says sounds like a bunch of wussies to me <laughs> <laughs> and then roger goes they all have disposable cash and randy goes rich dead people and Roger says, yeah, this is this is not a routine case. Guess they can have their obituaries back. And suddenly he like looks at his hands and they're getting older. And then he looks at the clock 
and he's like having a moment. Doug asks why he looks so freaked out all of a sudden. Bro, <laughs> I'm fucking dying. I, I, I mean, I died. I'm a zombie. Then, now I'm now I'm on a ticking time bomb to become a melting pile of goo. Why do you think I'm freaking out? I should have freaked sh- out before now. He should have said that, but instead, this is what he says. These obituaries, they're writing new ones all the time. They're writing mine right now. Roger Mortis, beloved husband of nobody, father of none, who always thought he had to go out in a blaze of glory. Suddenly he just like freaks out. He leaves their area of the library and he's running, quote unquote, running out of the (laughs) library in the most like they told him, don't worry, we'll speed this up. Just jog. He's jogging through the library dramatically Right. With, and with Joe Piscopo, <laughs> Joe in pissed full off Capo is in full pursuit, running after him. But in a library, he's following following the rules. He's whispering, yeah. Roger, Roger, come back here. <laughs> Not yelling at him. And then when he finally catches up to him, he's out of breath. Joe Piscopo's out of breath for no reason. Doug's out of breath. He's panting. I'm like, aren't you a fucking muscle guy? Obviously, you don't work on your legs, dude. <laughs> yeah, no cardio and whatsoever. No cardio. And Doug's like, Raj. We don't got time for this. Well, duh. And Roger goes, I can't live a lifetime in six hours. And Doug says, remember in training, you can't be a good cop if you're a dead cop. Well, here's your chance to prove them wrong. You're good and you're dead. Let's go find these suckers and trash their ass, man. And then Roger laughs and goes, it's asses. (laughs) It's plural. And I will say... I realize now the whole um, beloved husband of nobody, father of none, that's actually going to come back to play uh, later when they go to the, the mausoleum. And he's like, I noticed that he it doesn't say father. So actually that's they needed to put that out like they they're like, we need this dialogue in here because it kind of explains something later. And I do like how later asses comes back, you know, when he says asses versus ass plural. So that's good, too. But. The whole the whole library oh, scene is just it's, it's bad. It's bad. It's it's weird. It's only like three minutes long, four minutes long, but it feels like fifteen minutes. And like like the 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 fact that Joe Piscopo is out of breath chasing down Treat Williams is just oh that's just sad. Yeah, it's so sad. And and like now Roger is revitalized because of Doug's pep talk, right? And not even a good pep talk. Like they, they said, you, can, you can't be a good cop if you're a dead cop, but you can be both. Even Treat Williams, even like not Roger, but Treat Williams, like almost looks at the camera like, really? Is that the dialogue we're going with here? Okay. All yeah. right. Okay. Because I thought Doug had something about, you know, live for the moment or like, let's, you know. Let's make sure this doesn't happen to anybody else. Yeah, that would have been better. Like, let's get these guys so that, like, no one else has to fucking deal with what you're dealing with, man. Let's make sure the dead stops with you. Or there you go. Like wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow, look at this, guys. We're, we're rewriting our own version, part two. I think we did uh, that with uh, Deep Rising, too, didn't we? Yeah, we did, actually. I'm <laughs> sensing a trend with Treat Williams. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Treat. <laughs> treat. <laughs> this is the part where you tricked us. Uh, so cut to them, the three of them back in the car. Now Roger's driving again. Yeah, I uh, know. This This is what threw me off. I was like, who owns this car? And cue the next, again, this is a, this we're, we're still rolling into the bullshit. I, I wrote all this down because I even paused it and I had uh, Kristen watch this. I'm like, does this make sense to you? And she goes, no. 
So Roger's got a smile on his face. He's looking at Randy, who's in the front seat, uh, passenger side, and Doug's in the back. And he starts telling a story. He goes, you know, the population of the world is so big now that half of the people who've ever lived are still alive today. If you took all the people who've died since the beginning of history and all the people who are alive right now, it'd be about the same number. <laughs> I, I'll keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so, so if anybody ever asks you when you're going to die, you just say, well, I don't know. So far, it's only happened to half of us. I, I, I'm with you and Kristen. I didn't understand this, and I... I rewound it as well because I was like, oh, this could be an interesting <laughs> factoid. But I'm like, so wait, are we saying that all the dead people like what what are you what are we trying to say here? What and nothing like at the end of the nothing. day, at the end of the day, <laughs> none of this has anything to do with uh, anything like in the movie because Joe Piscopo at the end of it goes, yeah, well, if you take the fucking weight of my ex-wife <laughs> and divide it by the people in Cleveland, blah, blah. And then it just like it fades out because it's like even the movie's like, no, Joe, just stop talking. But this whole scene, what was the point of that dialogue about dead? I the writer was like so fascinated by that factoid, I think. But they and they probably read it like in a Time magazine or something, but they did not convince convey it well on screen it 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 would be now what the only way you could save that scene is instead of doug saying that stupid fat shaming line about his ex-wife being overweight is if doug goes did you read that on facebook (laughs) that would be funny that would be funny and just cut and then you cut to the next scene which is the three of them in the elevator of a morgue (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> back with smithers it's like oh that scene went nowhere didn't even need it didn't even no. need it. so there the three of them are in the elevator and smithers uh they, they get off the elevator and they start walking in the hallway of the morgue and smithers shows up and and randy starts giving her shit like oh. immediately <laughs> like cue, immediately cat fight cat fight cat fight cat fight it's so funny, yeah, because she's like excited to share some news with Roger that some 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 developments she's found, and Randy's like, "You work here?" Yeah, <laughs> and she goes, "Yes," and Roger's like, "Yeah, she's an expert in forensic pathology." Oh, what a unique accomplishment! And Doug's like, "Did it get chillier than usual, isn't it?" Which is actually funny. Yeah, that was actually decent right there, and I think that was probably Joe Piscopo. But why? Why did she hit the ground running with the cattiness? Uh, but we should say we should note that, like at this point, Treat is starting. Or Roger is starting to look pretty bad. Um, I think they actually, up until a certain point, they actually do a really good job of making his makeup kind of subtle, and then it stops being subtle. There's like a middle point, uh, which is which which is where we are here. Um, but I like when he gets just goes full on post the ambulance scene and everything. Um, Me too. But the idea. The idea behind it all is that when he was alive, he was very stuffy and everything. And he basically comes alive after he's been killed and he becomes more and more punk, more and more awesome to the point where I will talk about it. You know, the ambulance scene, when he comes out of that, they turn him into like a full on punk and everything, which was really big at the time. So basically he becomes Roger becomes cooler. The more dead he becomes. Agreed. Agreed. He gets more 
like like the zombies in Return of Return of the Living Dead. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Um. So so Smithers has Roger like on an examining table for dead people, and she's and Doug even makes a joke about that. Uh, and she's examined. She has him open up his shirt to to look at his chest, and she sees the bullet holes, and she's freaked out. She's like, "What what's happened to you?" And he is like you said, he's falling apart, and she's like. Uh, based on you know my exam, you've got like three to four more hours to live. You're de- you're decomposing more rapidly than expected. Uh, Roger wants to leave and get shit done, but Smithers is, says she might have found something. She found something in Dante's files to extend the resurrection beyond twelve hours. And then he goes, "Can you guarantee that?" And she says, "No." And he goes, "Then I can't take that chance." And then she goes, "Well, it's my job." And she starts saying this whole spiel about, you know, Roger, 10 years on the streets risking your life, and it's still not enough. Like, oh, my God. He, do you blame the fucking guy? He's got three hours. He wants to find out who yeah. did this to him. Yeah. Like, no, no. Uh, and then Roger goes, I guess I'm just a glutton for punishment. And then Doug walks up and goes, so what's next, guys? Which is so stupid because it's like, we're going through this moment. His ex-girlfriend wants to keep him alive. He wants to get out of there and, and find who did this to him. And Doug's like, hey, guys, I'm just going to interrupt this like tit for tat and uh, break the ice. Uh, no. And there, I mean, there will be even a worse one uh, uh, soon at the, end, oh, of this, it's coming. At the yeah. end of this scene. Yeah. Yeah. So Roger then says, I want, I want to go to Loudermilk's grave. And says to Doug, I want you to check out Laudermilk's lawyer, which never comes back, by the no, way. No, no. Uh, and he goes, let's meet back at Randy's house. Randy doesn't want to go to the grave where Laudermilk is. And Roger's like, I want you where I can see you. <laughs> okay. Because, you know, up to this point, it's like he can't trust her now. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and so the three of them, Randy, Roger, and Doug, leave and Smithers is still standing in the morgue room, and she's like, I'm not giving up hope. And that's when Roger smiles and then leaves. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hello. La, la, la. I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La, la, la. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it. And now, back to the show. Cuts to Roger and Randy getting in the red convertible, and there's a there's a uh, 
there's a Dodge Daytona across the street from okay. them, and I'm like, that's got to be that's, that's got to be Doug's. Yeah, you're right. Like that totally looks like a meathead's car. Yeah, yeah. and I like Dodge Daytonas. Go back to our Wraith episode yes. where I yes. glaze the donut of Dodge Daytona. Yes, no, I actually knew that you like Dodge Daytonas because you know of I it. Do. <laughs> Who pulls up? Tires screeching behind him, uh, right in front of them. But it's Doctor McNabb in a sweet BMW. Uh, and Doug comments on the nice wheels uh, that he has. Must be a lot of money in carving up dead people. This is this is important, right? Yeah, yeah, no, it is. And McNabb is looking at Roger, and he goes, "Little early for your post mortem." Roger goes, "Just stop by to reserve a body bag." <laughs> and he gets he gets so tickled by this, he's like, "Ah, that's funny." Yeah, McNabb <laughs>, laughs, and he drives off. <laughs> <laughs> and I love how uh, Roger's like. I love that guy. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I love that guy. And I and think then, he does. Like, I actually think he does love that guy. <laughs> yeah, and Doug's like, I can tell. Which is, okay. Uh, and so Roger drives off. And as he drives off, the camera freezes on Doug's face, looking concerned. Because we know this is the last time we're going to see Doug. Yeah, that's, yeah. Or at least. Which in, is actually in, really cool. Yeah. It's it is it, it's a super common trick that they use, like like, to tell the audience that something bad's about to happen and he's got a good look on his face yeah for that no, I, giant I like head it. of his yeah i yeah. like it not his giant fucker yeah oh joe piscopo's got a weird body <laughs> sure does from there we cut to the cemetery uh randy's leading roger to Laudermilk's grave this whole at, scene reminds me of one dark night i think it's at hollywood forever cemetery by yeah. the way. uh roger jokes maybe i should pick out a maybe i should pick out one I wonder if they take MasterCard. <laughs> Stupid. And he goes, nice place to spend the rest of your life. Swaying palms and the smell of jasmine. Quiet neighbors. I'm like, oh, my God, just stop. Just stop with just, the jokes. Just just walk in. Just go in. <laughs> just go. Uh, they walk up to the mausoleum door. Roger is outside looking up to the sky to observe a shooting star. And then he comments on it. She's like, what are you doing? He goes, it's a shooting star. Oh, my God. Sure. <laughs> they walk to the door, and Randy says, so now what? I don't have a key because there's a big padlock on it. Roger pulls out his gun. He goes, I'm a cop. Then he shoots the gun, the, the lock off. They walk into the mausoleum. Uh, there's like a lamp and a, and a guest book over by the side. Yeah. And Roger's like investigating the door where Loudermilk's grave would be, and he goes, looks like he's resting comfortably here. Randy's looking super unsettled. Uh, and then he says, what's your real relationship with Loudermilk? He goes, outside it says beloved husband, but no mention of a darling daughter. Yeah, and so so I didn't even pick up on that until our conversation right now, but that's why I think that in the library that dialogue was important for him to say, for Treat Williams to say, because that comes into play right here. But this could have been in the car after she was sewing him up, and he's looking at his hand, and he's like, he could have said, I'm falling apart here, you know? Yeah. And he's like, my obituary is being written as I, as I, as I breathe. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the, that. that dialogue didn't have to have to happen in the library uh, or that scene in the library didn't have to happen. But that dialogue I think was necessary just at some point they should have inserted it. And yeah, I'm with you. That, Probably the car. Like when he's, when she's just like have all of it condensed, they could have even just bought a newspaper you know locally you know but have it all yeah. condensed in that car scene you know and and i get i get the whole they have to figure out the connection with the millionaires sort of 
they don't really need to. No, they don't because it it still will like all their destination will still lead to the same place whether they understand the millionaire connection or not. So you could make that connection later when you get there. Them trying to like it just yeah, them trying to figure out all the the dead people in the, the obituaries. It just yeah, it was a little bit convoluted. Yeah. And so uh by the way, I want to point out the fact that you know, he had like a rag around his hand at the butcher shop. And then now he's got this very fashionable uh, purple yeah. uh, band around his arm that matches his jacket. So I would have liked to seen a scene where he rips fabric from his jacket. But because I'm kind of thinking that's what they were implying. Yeah. No, I, the inside I, of his jacket. I noticed right. the exact same thing. It's not a bandage. It's like fabric that matches his jacket. And it's very cool. Looking. It's it's I really neat. That. Yeah. I, I rock that. So, uh, yeah. So, so he's like, you know, no mention of a darling daughter. And she goes, all right, see, I met him in the hospital. I was there for drug rehab. This reminds me of a Kristen Wiig character where she's constantly lying. Yeah. I was there for drug rehab and he took me under his wing. See, daughter he never had. And as while she's saying this whole spiel, Roger picks up a photo of Louder Milk with Ronald Reagan. <laughs> so eighties, <laughs> so funny, so eighties. <laughs> fun fact, uh, not fun fact, but I just like talking about it. Um, my stepdad was a tile contractor, did a lot of work in the. He worked in the Bay Area, and he was uh, doing the tile for the creator of Atari games. Yeah, and he was in his basement. And there were stacks of Atari games everywhere. And Mike had all the tiles. Like, where do you want me to put this? And the guy's like, ah, just move those boxes out of the way. And there's a big picture of uh, him with Ronald Reagan. He's like, where do you want me to put this? He goes, ah, just throw it over there with the rest of the junk. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> didn't, no one cared about Ronald Reagan. Oh, Ronnie. <laughs> oh, Ronnie. Go, go, I go, did. Hey, go, I'm going to go eat some jelly beans. I'm going to go eat some jelly beans and... Be resurrected by uh, what, what day is it? I don't know. Okay, so uh, Randy says, "Yeah, Randy says, yeah." Say he, he got me this great house, and he and he and he and he set me up with a great job at Dante's Pharmaceuticals. See, yeah, and I and I better I bet he never knew what kind of snake hole he was dropping me in. Lies, 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 more lies. And Roger goes. So this zombie thing comes as a complete surprise. And she goes, I swear, see, I swear. Roger turns uh, on the lamp to get a better look, I guess, the things around. And when he turns the lamp on, he sees numbers written on the inside of the lamp in red paint. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, is this supposed to be blood? Because it's kind of like drippy, he, but like, yeah. it's. I think, it, yeah, is it supposed to be blood? And he, then he goes, Zoinks! Like, <laughs> I think you left something for us to use. And then Randy goes, Ruby, Ruby, Ruby. <laughs> Fucking, it's so ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. No, you're not. So, you're not wrong, bro. You're not wrong. Someone had the time to write the numbers down. Well, we know that there was a body put inside that morgue, and it's not Louder Milk, right? right? Yeah, inside the mausoleum. And so, was it Louder Milk that wrote the name? The no, but Louder Milk's running the whole show. So, or a dude that they put in there, but wasn't dead yet. Yeah, and, and he, he he wrote a code, like just write someone's name, you know, the code that spells out more than Body Doc, yeah. more letters than Body Doc, by the way. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't count the numbers. <laughs> I'm like, that's more than. Bo- that's that's not seven. That's like because there's like eight or nine letter. There's eight or nine numbers there or something. I didn't totally track it. That's hilarious. Come on. Come and it's on. And it's on. like it's the it's not even it's not even one through twenty six, right? Yeah. 
like A is one, yeah. Z is twenty six. It's like seven. Oh, that's B because on a keypad that's B. Yeah, or whatever. It's, it's like no. It's the phone thing. It's it's yeah. It, it co yeah. We'll figure that out in a little bit. But I'm with you. It's like yeah. When I saw this, I was like, uh, okay, I'm just gonna let it. And you know, like you don't really have time to to think about it because the movie's no. so short and so quick. You're like, okay, but yeah, this was a bit of a head scratcher to me, and also like. How does no one saw that? Like nobody saw that. Yeah, and fucking Randy's like Chinkies. I think we should go now. No, I'm joking. She doesn't say that. But it's like it's suddenly this Scooby Doo thing. It of does. Like, yeah. He was old man Smithers all along. Zoinks. Um. So from there, Roger writes down the numbers, and you cut to Roger and Randy arriving back at her house. Roger saying, "Oh, Doug should be back by now." No, it's, well, wouldn't they, you? They, they arrive at Doug's house. That's Doug's house. Oh, that no, no, no. That's I'm. Oh. It's it's Randy's because oh. they're in her shower. They're in their shower later. Oh, yeah, you're right. I thought that was Doug's house, and I was like, oh, Doug's got a nice house because they do show different like parts of it or whatever. Yeah, because because yeah. earlier he says, "Let's meet back at Randy's house." You're right. You're 100 percent right. Uh, and I'll leave all this in. I won't cut it or anything. But yeah, you're right. Okay, okay. So it's Randy's house, not Doug, and that's why they weren't so shocked by the shot out windows because at first I was like shouldn't they and he's like oh i guess doug uh, left the tv on you know because the tv's yeah. uh going but you know they weren't shocked by the windows being shot out that makes more sense now um knowing that okay they've already been there they, they're expecting to see that okay i thought that was doug's place but you don't you know what would it would have made more sense if it was doug's place because he could say doug should be back by now maybe thinking Doug parked his car inside his garage, but yeah. wouldn't you think they looked to see if Doug's car was even around on the street that they were at? Yeah, yeah, you would think so. But we know in L.A. with street parking, Doug would have probably, in theory, had to park, like, blocks away because of sure. street parking. <laughs> but then they didn't care about that because they got tickets all the time. That's right. Yeah, It's, it's, nah. it's not a tight script. <laughs> right on <bro. laughs> <laughs> Doug is fucking Scooby. <laughs> oh, fucking no shit. Yeah. No, he's scrappy. Yeah, yeah, you good call, good fucking call. He's scrappy. (laughs) (laughs) So, so they go inside the house. Yeah, the lights are the lights are not turning on, but the TV's on, right? And the TV is playing DOA. Randy walks up to the TV, the old uh, noir film from the from the what fifties or something. Yeah, it's from the fifties, and uh, you know we we kind of alluded to earlier, but we might as well talk about it now. Um, This film DOA. Uh, about a salesman who gets kind of like uh, poisoned, and then he has like 24 hours to find out who who killed him. And I think he, it's the girl. He finds out her, and I think I don't know what happens, but I think he's going to probably kill her. But that's that was the inception for this film. It was like we want to do something like that. The writers like want to do something like that, but instead of like you know having a poison killing them in 24 hours, it's like they're going to be turned into a pile of goo. You got to chase down the killer. Obviously, it's not like a, a remake or anything, but it's it's no. an inspiration for it. But yeah. The famous, uh, uh, yeah, like a noir film from the 50s called DOA. So so look that up. But it's playing on TV. And I'm glad they, I like that kind of stuff. I like it when they put it into the movie because it was the inspiration for the film. I like shit like that. I agree. I agree. And and they remade it in the 80s with Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan. Was it called DOA as well? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Okay. Um, if, you like, if you like your Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan shaken, not stirred. <laughs> it was after Interspace, so okay. yeah, go check it out. Okay. Yeah, so she, Roger is off in another room, I'm assuming, because they don't really say where Roger is. Uh, 
but she's watching it. She's getting freaked out because it's too close to home, right? Because she's realizing that she's the femme fatale and she's sort of, and she back as she's like backing away from the TV and she backs into her fish tank, which is behind her, the one that hasn't been shot out. And who's in the fish tank upside down with his head and tied from the ceiling, but Doug. (laughs) I almost rejoiced at this point (laughs) and like bloated as fuck. Like his head, his face is super bloated out. It's disgusting. Yeah. you know, it's it's cool. It's, it's cool effects. I just want to note that it's like totally disturbing because when you see him later, he doesn't really look like that. No, but I think in the dream sequence that probably happens between now and then, he has the bloated face in it and everything. But uh, with the oh, Linnea cool. Quigley dancing zombie thing. But uh, I don't know like when it. Oh, you know what? Did they have? Maybe it's when did maybe. OK, anyways, I'll I'll, I'll say in a second. I'll say in a second. So finish the okay. scene out. Yeah, so so Roger, she calls Roger over. Roger says, let's get him down. Like, he's he's looking sad, but he's not super, like, devastated by it. He just, like, looks concerned. Um, they cut him down. Well, they don't cut him. They don't show him cut him down, but it cuts to Roger putting a sheet over Doug's body. Uh, and then he, Roger walks into the bathroom. You were going to say about the. Well, no, that's perfect. Like, so he walks into the bathroom and my, I was like, why is she like taking a shower now and everything and thinking about the, having a dream sequence and everything? And I wonder if in between bringing down Doug's body and her being in the shower, there was a sex scene between Randy and uh, uh, and Treat Williams, because like, why is she taking a shower right now? You know? Oh, yeah, she wants to wash the filth off. Yeah, so so that's my only thought. Maybe that's where there was a dream sequence there. I don't quite know, but I'm also very confused as to like why she chose now to take a shower. Yeah, no, I, I that tracks. I get that. Yeah, and wouldn't he be in a hurry at this point because he's got maybe like a couple hours left? Yeah, you'd think so. You'd think so. So, yeah, Roger walks in on her. Uh, Randy's like apologizing. She says she didn't want to tell him. I, I didn't want to tell you, see? I lied about the drugs. Uh, I was in the hospital because I, I was dying too, see? I was dead, see? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Makes me want to watch Dick Tracy, bro. <laughs> <laughs> that, that nice. And uh, and she's like, yeah, I got brought back too. And, and they said, but I'd have a normal lifespan, see? As long as I help them. Yeah, yeah. And Roger asks, who? Who, hel- like, who helped who? But before she could answer... She looks at her hand. She looks down at her hands, and her hands are decom. Her hands are decomposing. They're getting old. And so this effect, by the way, amazing, I've, amazing. So what it is? They filmed it in reverse. She had the fake old makeup on and everything. And what they had off screen, just barely off screen, was airbrushes painting her hands uh, skin color, like spraying them skin color. But if you go in reverse, it looks like they're losing their skin color and you see the veins and everything underneath. And uh, I was like, oh, that was, it's a great, it's fantastic. It looks amazing. And I was like, how the, is that stop motion? How do they do that? But it doesn't look like stop motion. It's because it's just, it's in reverse. 
That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's really cool. And and what happens next is probably one of the most disturbing parts of the entire movie. So she looks up and the side of her face starts melting. And thank God for 4K Blu-rays because you can see the cords, the strands, because uh, that's her face. And and he basically uh, Steve Johnson like glued like real microfiber strands to her face and just pulls like that's her face being truly like elastic, but you can see like the like the eight strands that are kind of hanging getting pulled but you couldn't see them on vhs back in the day like it's only because we're fucking watching shit in in 4k and everything that you can see it but it still holds up today it doesn't even matter you can barely see the strands like i'm just i'm i'm only calling it out because you know it's what we're doing here we're three hours in but you can it's really good it holds up well you can barely see them if you're not looking for them and it's it's very very effective and like all the zombie makeup and everything in this movie it's done so well it's truly the best part of the movie i think it treat williams and the zombie shit are the best parts i agree and i love how you're like apologizing for this when we've really called out the flaws throughout this movie we have we really have and but again, i just want to say i'm sorry about what i'm about to shit on i'm sorry about what i'm about to say and again i want to remind everybody i fucking love this movie it's fucking we great both movie do. just like we both do i know but we're, we're being honest yeah and, we're being honest and, and honestly there are moments where just like hmm. um but yeah yeah it's all good yeah uh, so so uh yeah she she's like apologizing to roger <laughs> she's apologizing Sorry, roger. the way i'm apologizing <laughs> same way yeah and and fun fact uh cory's face is falling apart as he's talking <laughs> as we're talking yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's all Joyce, the whiskey like i don't know um anyway she's falling apart her body totally decomposes her head falls off ro- rolls over to the side of the shower and then keeps talking which i always think is funny because it's like Where's that's not possible. And she's like, I'm sorry, Roger, forgive please me. forgive me. And, and it's, it's a really good fake dead body. It's a really good fake head. So cool. Except there's like this layer of skin on it that is like superimposed that kind of like fades away. I don't yeah. mind it. Honestly, it's not a big deal, but it's, it's, okay. it's the only part of it that, that is dated. Cause again, even with the strings, you don't, if you're not looking for them, you don't see them. And the effect is fantastic. Like everything about this scene is actually pretty fucking scary and, and really, really well done up until like this literal last shot of like her face. They superimposed her face on the zombie head. And then they kind of just do an after, like an after effects fade away, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a little cheap, but 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 Roger's shocked, and I love this. He's he's shocked, and he leaves the the bathroom into the, and he goes in the hallway, and he's like panting because he's so freaked out by it because he knows it's coming to him too. He yeah. knows that that's what's going to happen to him. He walks over to a, the phone, calls Smithers, but he gets her answering machine. He starts telling her that Doug and Randy are dead, and the answering machine cuts out. But he looks at the keypad on the phone. He goes, numbers to letters. Oh, the numbers, joinks. <laughs> yeah. It's like the numbers on the lamp are the same thing as the numbers on a keypad. Right on row. <laughs> oh, my God. It's really fucking loose. Like, you got to go, oh, suspension of disbelief, 
It is so suspension of disbelief at this point. You just got to let it go, I guess. Yeah. No, I know. And I mean, at this point, we're already double the runtime of the actual movie. So, like, you don't have time to dwell on any of these things unless you're doing a four-hour podcast about it. Then, of course, you're going to dwell on it. But when you're watching it, this shit just flies past you. And you're like, yeah. okay, okay, yeah. I'm I'm along for the ride at this point. And, and, you know, to be honest with you, both Corey and I purchased these movies. So we're, like, so fine with owning this and we'll watch it repeatedly it's a great movie to watch with a group of people oh god yeah i'm gonna show this to luke and xair when they come up and visit next month it's a great movie it's a fun party movie it's a great movie but it is very flawed but it doesn't hold it back so if anything take all of these flaws that we're calling out and know that it doesn't detract from the enjoyment of this film at all no and and this is it's funny because he starts writing out the 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 letters to the digits and he goes uh he's like oh it's it writes out body and he goes damn that's it cut to the red convertible screeching to the hospital or the morgue roger gets out he's driving that shit like he stole it by the way driving like he stole it and he's looking tore up from the floor up at this point walks into the morgue Cuts to McNabb combing his toupee in his office. Which is cool because it was such an obvious toupee that I like the fact that they actually brought attention to it. And you see his real hair. He's sitting there with his real hair now. Yeah, because everyone knows. They saw Christmas Story. They're like, this is the guy from the Christmas Story. Roger walks in and says, and McNabb's like, what are you doing here? Roger says, you killed me and Doug and maybe not Randy, but you should have let her stay dead. And McNabb asks, like, what are you talking about? And Roger's like, revenge, and you're on the receiving end unless you come up with some answers, see? McNabb's like, you're losing your mind because, oh, because it's deteriorating. (laughs) He's like very happy with the fact that he's like, no, it's fine. You're just, you're losing your mind because you're deteriorating. You're falling apart. It's, it's, I I didn't do anything. And, and Roger says, McNabb uh, buried Loudermilk a lot. You buried Loudermilk alive and uh, Loudermilk wanted to paint the point the finger at you, but he was afraid to write "It's McNab" in case you came back and erased it. So he tried something just a little bit subtler. It's a coded message, and it says "Body Doc." Mm. Oh my God! Like we know this is all bullshit, by the way, because Loudermilk is alive, yeah, and he's working with McNab, yeah. Whoever let this, it, it, it's it's the MacGuffin. Yeah, see, it's the yeah. MacGuffin. It's the MacGuffin. But I get that. I, like, look, I love I love Kiss Me Deadly with the briefcase yeah. and the which Pulp Fiction, you know, ripped off. Used, yeah, mm-hmm. ripped ripped off. But still, like, come on, it's 1988. Like, have a little bit more thoughtfulness in this thing. Yeah, not just like it, it's literally like making a movie. Uh, you know, who done it, and then. A random guy coming in, like the guy in Killer Tomatoes going, tomatoes, like walking up, like has nothing to do with the movie and gives you a note and you open it up and you're like, your father's the murderer. Your father is the murderer. Oh, thanks, random guy. Yeah. And then suddenly you figure it out. Like, no, that's exactly what it is. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It's no, you're right. You're you're right. It, it has. I can't explain it any better other than saying you're right. <laughs> tomatoes <laughs> so uh mcnab zombies <laughs> zombies mcnab laughs and he's like well this is what happens when you die your synapses fire leading to all sorts of demented conclusions roger's like my mind has never been sharper uh and then he shoots the phone and he got uh, uh, that mcnab's about to pick up the phone and and he shoots the phone he goes neither is my aim <laughs> 
and McNabb's like super pissed now. And Roger asks, how many others, Canfield, the Blue Jean King, or uh, Oliver Lang, like all the people they were looking up at the library, he's bringing them back up again. This is the callback. Mm -hmm. He goes, you take their money and you brick them up. Is that it? And McNabb points at Roger and says, that's a lie. Roger grabs his finger and he looks at the ring on his finger. He goes, that's a nice ring. And that watch, I bet we can trace those back to the jewelry store heist. And like, okay, these are kind of tracking. And then he takes the ring off of McNabb. Roger starts saying that he, you know, you resurrected the robbers to rob for you. He's putting all the pieces together. And McNabb's like, ah, circumstantial evidence would never hold up in any court, see? Roger says, I'm not waiting on any court. And he points the gun at McNabb. And McNabb says, I can help you. And Roger says, like, you help Randy James? And he goes to shoot McNabb, but a dude comes out of nowhere and grabs the gun and it pulls it up so it shoots up to the sky and doesn't hit McNabb. And it's two zombie thugs along with Thule. Yeah, and I like how the zombie thugs here look very different. All the zombie thugs are very different looking, and you don't even see these two ever again, which is kind of neat. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I like it too. And this is funny because uh, McNabb asks for his ring back that Roger took off his finger, and he puts the ring back on. He goes, "Eh, every job has its perks. (laughs) And Roger says, you're going to pay for this. And Thule... And, and McNabb looks at Thule and he goes, silence him. And the zombies knock out Roger with the butt of their gun. And Thule asks McNabb, he goes, how do you wish this man killed? Cut to the exterior of the morgue in the front. And there's an ambulance out there. And McNabb is telling Roger, I've come to love you like a son. Honest, trustworthy, dependable, like a freaking Boy Scout. <laughs> they walk to the ambulance and... In front of the morgue, open the doors, and McNabb says, isn't it ironic you're going to spend your last moments inches from freedom in the front of a county morgue? And they put him in the van, and they lock, they handcuff him to the side rail of the ambulance van, and there's a body next to him with a sheet on it. And McNabb says, I hope you don't mind sharing the bed space. And he pulls back the sheet to reveal Smithers. Dun, dun, dun. Damn, man. Everyone fucking dies in this movie, dude. It's uh, it's dark. It's dark. It's actually pretty fucking dark, man. Like, I, every time I watch this, this past two times, like, even the second time I watched it, I don't expect to see her there. That, that one's, that one's kind of tough, you know? That was, yeah, that was a shocker. And I like her. She's, yeah. she's, she's a good character. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously, Roger's pissed and McNabb's like, well, this van is lined with stainless steel and it's soundproof. Perfect place to disintegrate, which will happen. And he looks at his watch in about 45 minutes. <laughs> Thule says, we need to go now. And they, they close the door and they lock it with a padlock and they leave. Cut to Roger in the ambulance trying to get out. He looks at Smithers and he's like, well, I always thought we'd wind up together, but never like this. And he looks to the front of the ambulance. And he's kind of gets excited. <laughs> We're about to go get into my favorite scene in the entire fucking movie. Yeah, again, suspension of disbelief because uh, he reaches out. He he realizes that he re, he can he can stretch his body out from where he's handcuffed, and then like reaches foot to grab the, the the shifter on the van to shift it into neutral. I thought you needed keys to be able to do that, but you know. 
I think you do. Yeah. But whatever. (laughs) But what's cool in this scene is like as he's stretching out, the the handcuffs are ripping at the flesh of his arm. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. I really like that. I think that's really fucking cool. I love that too. And so he's able to shift the shifter on the ambulance from park to neutral, and the ambulance starts rolling forward. (laughs) And he's kind of rocking, and he's going kind of slow at first, and he's got this look on his face like, oh, yeah, this is great. This is going to be good. He's He already knows that this is going to be a good time because it's a downhill shot the entire way. And he, like, he hits a car in front of him, and it starts going too, and – Man, they start picking up speed, dude, and the look of just pure joy and happiness on Roger's face. It's its a moment of zen, man. I love it, man. He is so like, this is going to be great. <laughs> yeah, he, he lets out this big, oh, yeah. And the, and the ambulance like goes off of a, a hill, comes crashing down, barreling into a bunch of cars and explodes explodes in a blaze of glory like he had said in his obituary like he wanted to go out and by the way it's not like a mad max sped up footage it is a fast ambulance plowing into a bunch of cars into an intersection it's a really really good stunt much better than it had than this movie has any right to have in it you know totally agree totally agree um by the way the other night apparently someone rented a tesla and drove it uh, off of like some road in 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 Los Angeles, like off a of big and to do like a big dramatic jump, jump, and then plowed into a bunch of cars at like three forty five in the morning, <laughs> and then got out of the car and just split. I don't yeah. think they found the person that stole the that got the car either. It reminds me of uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah, so. yeah, dude, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So, so the aftermath. There's an ambulance there. Uh, police officers there off his motorcycle and there's two body bags on the ground one probably being smithers and one being roger uh roger's body bag zips open and out comes roger whose like colored miami vice outfit is now all black because it's been charred which is cool yep. i love that and it, his hair's all spiky and he has a shrapnel earring on essentially it's like stuck to his ear but this is like yeah this is the idea that like he basically becomes cooler the more dead he is and i think the makeup effects on this final form and this is how we're going to see him uh for the rest of the movie because spoiler alert there's literally only like 15 minutes left and yeah. uh it's it, he looks great it's a great makeup effect i think he looks awesome i just oh, wish I totally that agree. we saw maybe in his face had like some kind of that sparkly stuff that we saw at the very beginning when his hand you know gets cut yeah i think if they made this now they would do that yeah right? they'd throw some cgi on it or something yeah so uh the M- the paramedics are freaked out and they're like you're not looking good man or something <laughs> yeah, like that yeah. <laughs> and uh, the the bi- the motorcycle cop pulls his gun out on him tells him to freeze do you recognize that motorcycle cop i don't Hawkins, no! It's fucking Shane Black. That's Shane Black? Yep. Wow. Yep. I didn't I wasn't paying attention enough, but Jesus, nice, nice dude. Look yeah. at you. Well, I wow. saw that he was I saw he he's in the credits on IMDb. He's he's credited as patrolman. And I was like, oh, is he in the beginning shootout or something? And then when I rewatched the film, I was like, oh, that's him. The with the the cop with the gun, uh, the motorcycle cop. And then once you know it's him, it, you can see it. You can see the Hawkins in his in his in his eyes. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah. And this is after Predator. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's after Predator. So. Wow. Wow. Maybe he did. Maybe he's friends with. Uh, I bet he's friends with the director. Well, I was wondering if he had any connection to the writer Terry Black. I, I don't uh, know. Oh. Good question. Yeah, I. I don't know. Truthfully, I, maybe maybe someone out there actually might know the answer to that. Is there a connection uh, with Shane Black and Terry Black uh, at all? Wow. Like, why is Shane Black in this movie here? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Or did well, or did the, Shane Black do any kind of punch up on the script? I kind of feel no. I feel like he he didn't because the script's not that tight. You know. Yeah. No. Agreed. Agreed. Well, him as the cop, uh, you know, he he looks at. Roger, he's like, you're a cop? And, and he and he says, Detective Mortis, homicide. And he asks for the gun, the cop's gun, and he gets on his motorcycle and he drives off. And, and that motorcycle it goes fast, by the way. Like, oh, yeah. He, well, he's feeling so good now. Yeah. <laughs> like, hell on wheels. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hey everybody, I'm Tim. And I'm Dean. And we're the hosts of Talking Back. We're a retro-based podcast covering movies, comics, video games, and more. Check us out every Monday where we hit the rewind button and dig into some of our favorite content from the past. We like to keep things fun, lighthearted, and informative. Do you feel like you need more nostalgia in your life? Then check out Talking Back. We're available everywhere podcasts are found. Hello, everybody. I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. And now, back to the show. Cut back to Dante's Pharmaceuticals at night. McNabb is in the uh, resurrecting lab with a bunch of older people uh, sitting around the lab, uh, sitting around the resurrection table. And he's discussing the untimely death of Arthur P. Loudermilk and starts to review his accomplishments. And he goes, well, why don't we have the man tell you himself? And out walks Loudermilk. Hello, everybody. <laughs> I like your Vincent Price, by the way. It's very good. Oh, it's it, I'm I'm gonna I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> you're you all hearing it now. He's workshopping it as as we're doing this. Yeah, so it'll probably get better as the uh, episode goes on. <laughs> we and, only have ten minutes left in the movie, though. No, but this is like pretty much the only other scene he's <laughs> yeah. in, right? And uh, Arthur walks out. And he goes, "Friends and associates, how nice to see you all again." <laughs> And some old dude is like, I saw you buried, Loudermilk. Damn it, I saw you buried. Loudermilk says, you were misled. The man in the grave is a volunteer personally personally selected by Dr. McNabb. (laughs) And Loudermilk starts telling everyone that the demonstration they're about to see makes burial somewhat unnecessary. (laughs) Cut to a crispy Roger on his bike en route to Dante cut back to Dante Pharmaceutical, but it's through the, the, the viewpoint of a security monitor. And there's two security guards at the front desk watching this, uh, watching the, 
what's unfolding in the lab, yeah. basically. And then Loudermilk's talking about, you know, all of you are billionaires and and you don't want your fortune to go left to a wolf pack. And and, and you what if you could just live with it, right? And Loudermilk is saying, uh, you know, going from one billionaire to another, basically convincing them of what what would they do to not die? Now, Cut now my question to, is, would they stay this age, though, like forever? Well, that, that's, I wrote that down, too. I'm like, would they want to live out these last lives? Because most of them maybe got a couple more years. They yeah. all had a good run, I, I was, as I like to say. I would have been like, I wish you had approached me with this when I was like in my 50s or something, not in my 80s. Right. And, and cuts back to the security guards and security guards are like, you know, how many rich bozos do you think he has in there tonight? Cut back to Loudermilk giving a speech about death being frustrating and all your all your money, uh, all your money going away while you're six feet under and uh, and the money going to money grabbing nobody's going after your fortune like rodents after a lump of cheese and, and i like how he says like to like the one lady's like like oh you're gonna be as a plaque on the wall or something you know type of thing or you know dedicated gertrude, to yeah 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 he looks at that, one of the women named one one of the women named gertrude and then he says poor people are supposed to die but the same rule doesn't apply to us we're rich God wants us to live forever. Jesus. And even if he doesn't, we can buy him off. Jesus. I mean, that's so applicable now and so applicable in, in the 80s, man. Totally. Wow. Totally. This, this this little, like, his speech thing holds up well. Yeah, totally. Uh, he says, he goes, uh, It'll cost all of you half of your fortune, but you'll have forever to make it back. And then you cut back to the security monitor and you see it's the monitor of the front of the pharmaceuticals and it's Roger pulling up on his motorcycle and he revs his engine. He starts driving down the en- the entryway of the pharmaceutical building and the motorcycle hits a chain and he it causes the chain the the bike it causes the bike to, to jettison, to stop, <laughs> launch him, <laughs> and he launches through off the bike through the front door windows of the lab. And as he flies in, he turns around and he's shooting at the security guards, blasting them away, a la something out of a John Woo movie. Yeah, and it's great because he doesn't give a fuck about his body at this point. And I like that. And I think like if they were ever gonna remake it or whatever, I would want to lean into this aspect of it of him just being like, well. Fuck it. I'm literally just going to launch myself through the windows because I don't care. I've got like 30 minutes left. So I like the punishment that he goes through in this last 10 minutes of the movie because it's really fucking awesome. And he no fucks are given by by Roger. And I like that. I think that's cool. Totally agree. No fucks given. And what I love about this scene, too, is like he he is out of bullets with his gun, drops the gun on the ground, walks over to the dead security guards and takes their Uzis and grenades, by the way. Yep. What security guards need grenades? But well, apparently I, the ones at Dante's Pharmaceuticals. I'm okay with that. I'm okay. I'm okay yeah. with it too. Yeah. Grenades on security guards. Yes. Kind of funny. yes, yes, yes. Cut back to louder milk, trying to convince all these billionaires to buy life, you know? And one of the millionaires, Gertrude, asks, she's like, what's your gimmick, louder milk? And he goes, no gimmick. And she goes, bullshit, (laughs) Loudermilk says, I know it sounds impossible, 
but I've planned a little demonstration. <laughs> there's a and there's a body on the on the rejuvenation machine, and he says this man's been dead for hours, and, and then he has everyone come over to inspect the body. Cut back to Roger walking towards the lab, and there's a security guard reading another magazine. <laughs> And he blasts him. He doesn't even like, like, you know, he just fucking guns the fuck out of him. He's like, nope, that's it. <laughs> guns the hell out of that guy. That guy looked familiar to me. He's been in, he's like thug number two in so many movies. Yeah, know? he was like an old stuntman type of thing. Yeah, exactly. Cut back the louder milk saying, now that you've seen him, let's see the little demonstration. And he asks McNabb to basically do the deed, turn the, turn the reju- rejuvenation machine on. And McNabb starts like typing in the in into the computer monitor and he's like flailing his hands dramatically like he's a composer. It's really silly. It is. And lightning starts hitting the body. Cut back to Roger killing another security guard and out of nowhere. And then a, another security guard comes out from like from another what do you call that? Like Al- alcove. Yeah, I know what you mean. He just comes, comes out, out from, from a corner. corner. Yeah. yeah. And and sh- shoots Roger, which startles him. And this is quite possibly one of my favorite scenes yeah, in the movie. Me too. Me too. <laughs> they, they start shooting each other with their Uzis and they're just blasting each other back and forth. It is like something out of an airplane movie. That's it, what it would this or a naked gun. It's so good because they're also both like shaking from the bullet hits and everything. <laughs> and uh, and I think in the in the documentary uh, with the director, uh, they show his original uh, edit of it, and it was like, it was like a cut longer, like it was a minute longer, not a minute. I'm sorry, it was like it was just a smidge longer. I liked the way it actually was. Like he was talking about how he wanted it to be longer because that's where the humor lies and the absurdity of it. I thought it was fine the way it is. I thought this little scene is perfect. And it, it because he like, he shoots that goon guy into the decompression chamber, fucking starts closing the door, throws a grenade in the door as it's closing and then throws a couple bullets in there too. He's like, brr, there's like, just shoots a couple bullets in there. Why not? Fucking loved it. If the ambulance scene is my favorite, this is my second favorite in the movie. I I think it's awesome. Yeah, this this is my favorite. You can find a gif of this online. Yeah. By the way. Oh, and it's I'll really funny. Oh, and I'll post it for sure. I'm sure you will. <laughs> yeah, I I love that. It's just like one more shot just for shits and yeah, giggles. Like one more, brrr, you know, just a couple. Yeah, <laughs> fucking awesome. He opens up the door to the uh, lab, and as the door opens to the lab. The, the grenade goes off, exploding the body that's inside, and body parts fly out, a la Big Trouble in Little China yeah. when one of the storms explodes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, everyone in the room is looking stunned to see Roger. Roger looks around, and he's like, it's okay. Don't get up. And McNabb is yelling at Thule to go get him. Thule starts shooting uh, an Uzi at Roger, and in the process, he's killing some of the billionaires. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. I thought that was kind of cool. Like, not all of them die; just a couple, you know, just get gunned down. I was like, "That's cool. That's re- I like that." But but Thule killed them. Yeah, yeah, of course. And, <laughs> and then he and gets then killed. Roger kills Thule, <laughs> yeah. and he's like, "Told you not to get up." And then another security guard appears out of nowhere, looking all zomb. This one looks zombified. All the other security guards up until this point did not look zombified, but yeah, this one did. Because even the one that he he does the inf- infinite bullets, like they both shoot each other. Like that guy, I guess at this point you expect, okay, that guy's a zombie, obviously, but he didn't look like one. This no. guy has like sort of a Frankenstein face to him. Yeah, this one doesn't. This this guy's just standing there shooting. Uh-huh. 
like a doofus not even moving he's just shooting the gun and roger's walking towards him getting pelted and just like taking it all in meanwhile most of the billionaires are all the ones who are alive are leaving at this point um the security guard keeps shooting him until he runs out of bullets and he tries to reload but roger grabs him and throws him into a bunch of electrical wires and kills him which is kind of a weak kill but, I, yeah, yeah, but it's also he Roger throws him into the expertly crafted set design, which looks fantastic. Um, but yeah, this, it's but yeah, he just electrocutes the guy. And that yeah, it's kind of lame. That's true. That's true. Uh, you see Loudermilk like running towards the exit, scared, but then he kind of stops. Oof! And, and, and then and then begins. Oh, I, I hate everything about Loudermilk in this climax here, where he's standing in the doorway, just talking you know yes yes this is this i know it's not good um so because roger reloads his gun and he starts walking towards mcnab and loudermilk asks you know what does he want (laughs) what does he want why doesn't he roger's like he goes not you old man i want him you're dead mcnab and you're even deader than i am yeah see and mcnab says oh i don't think so and he pulls back the black sheet of the body that's on the rejuvenation machine and it's Doug it's a, looking 100% better than he did from the fish tank. I was, I was going to say, and it's a pristine looking Doug. He's all glazed up. Doug's eyes open. He hops off the machine looking all ripped with his stomach, with his stomach sucked in. Uh, Roger goes, Doug, you're alive. And I'm like, duh. Because this is what that machine does, of course, right? And then Joe Piscopo does his best acting in the entire movie right now. This is pretty much, yeah. Uh, So Doug is looking like he's got a little bit of kind of grayish hue on his skin a little bit. And McNabb says, he can't understand a word you're saying. He's been brain dead too long. And you cut back to Doug's face like looking twitchy and looking all pasty. And then McNabb says, which means... He's mindless and totally obedient. Kill this guy, would you? Which is funny because Doug only responds to that last sentence. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Which yeah. he repeats over and over again. Yeah. But like all the other stuff. Doesn't like, matter. It doesn't matter. Whatever. And Doug says, kill this guy, would you? Kill this guy, would you? Like a robot. He's, he keeps repeating it, walking over to Roger. He grabs Roger by the throat. Roger's able to talk normally with his hands around his throat, <laughs> crushing it, which is whatever and and he's like hey doug do you realize we both have the same death day you know what we could do we could have a death day party invite all your friends get really ripped which is what doug said earlier in the yeah movie. yeah i know L- i know it's louder it's, milk it's ugh, it's terrible it's terrible louder milk's like we'll do something yeah. god <laughs> God, I hate everything about Vincent Price in this scene. Like, like it, it's it's only here. Like, I didn't mind him before. It's the fact that he literally spends the remainder of the climax, and you can tell that they just had him go against a doorway and then just read all of his lines, pause, read your next line, pause. We're, we'll cut, you know, we'll cut him in and everything. You could just tell that he just spent, you know, maybe two takes or something doing these things. But he's like, what? Do something. He's like, he's like yelling things at you know Kolchak the Night Stalker it's like what you do it yourself bitch you know do yeah, something right. right and then McNabb's yelling at Doug he's like kill him kill him kill him you dead son of a bitch 
and cuts back to Roger and Roger like, Doug, remember the lipstick? Mulberry wine brings out my eyes. Oh, God. Oh, that's so what, bad. And that's what causes Doug to come back to reality. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? It's the fucking terrible, terrible gay joke. That's what brings him goes, back. Yeah. And, and Doug's like, Roger, Roger. <laughs> and he drops him and he goes, hi, Doug. Welcome to Zombieland. And Doug helps him up and Doug's like, Roger, he said I should, he said I should hurt you. Like, oh my God, what are you, a puppy now? Yeah. Like the way he's talking about him. Because really, you know, it's weird. And then Doug turns towards McNabb creepily and says, but I'm going to hurt him. And Roger says, kill that guy, would you? Yeah. And Doug's like back in a trance. Yeah. And he starts walking towards McNabb. And so now they're circling McNabb around the, the rejuvenation machine. And McNabb says, oh, no. And he walks over to the machine controls and he pulls a gun out and he starts shooting an Uzi and he starts shooting Roger and Doug. And, they, and, they, and, that, and this is when like Vincent Price is like, why won't they die? It's like oh, you created this fucking machine. You know yeah, why like, they won't fucking him. die. Why can't you kill him? What the fuck, man? Stupid. It's really. St- yeah. Like, did we just forget? what this whole movie was about. Yeah. And they get really close to McNabb and McNabb says, Oh no, you <laughs> bastards aren't going to take me. And then and he, he blows his brains out. And he puts blo- the Uzi in his mouth. <laughs> done. Dead. I was fucking floored the first time I saw this. I was like, what the fuck, man? It's wild. That's it's wild. wild. And Roger's pissed. He's like, you, ch- you cheated me. God damn you, McNabb. You cheated me. And Loudermilk's still watching. What's going on over there? Yeah. And Doug puts his arm around Roger. He's like, it's okay. It's over, Roger. Forget about it, man. And Roger's like, not yet. And they put McNabb on the machine. Uh, They bring up the monitors on the the, uh, rejuvenation sequence. They start it. And McNabb gets resurrected. Yeah. And then Roger says, hi, Doc. Want to see what happens when you resurrect somebody twice? (laughs) And Doug says, not really. And Roger starts the machine back up again. And McNabb starts screaming as the shocking like pulses come through and it explodes McNabb. And this to me, this is how you kill the main villain in a movie. Like not in Deep Rising where, yeah, you know, the guy crashes his boat. Like you give the worst person in the movie the worst death experience you can give them. And it's a great fake body explosion too. It is. It's amazing. Again, it's like, Big trouble in Little China, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so after that, uh, Doug and Roger start walking away from the machine. The machine starts breaking down. Loudermilk's yelling, no, wait, save the machine. And it's like everything's short-circuiting. And he's like, we can fix it. I can make you normal again. What does he now sound like, Miss Piggy? (laughs) And... uh, and he's like, I'll give you anything you want. And Doug and Roger are walking off into the sunset. And he's like, money, power, eternal life, riches beyond your wildest dreams. Doug and Roger turn back around towards the machine. And he's like, just save the machine. And they look at each other. They smile. They put their Uzis back at the machine, point, point their Uzis back at the machine fire away while they're both shaking and Doug sucking in his stomach and he's flexing out his chest like super dramatically like 
It's really ridiculous. Although there was a cool camera shot that was like the camera kind of falls over as everything's exploding. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, that's actually really cool. Good, good job. I like that if, shot. If that was not on accident, I, that was a great idea. <laughs> oh, shit. The camera fell over. No, that's kind of oh, cool. It actually guys. looks kind of good. <laughs> <laughs> and Loudermilk's just screaming. And, and he's like cowering still in that corner, the like same, you were saying. The same fucking doorway that he's been in for the past like eight minutes, you know? It's, yeah, yeah. it's ridiculous. And yelling, no, wait, you don't have to do that. You'll live forever, forever. And it echoes as the camera kind of zooms back, right? Yeah. From him as he's talking. And then, yeah, it zooms back, and then it go, and then like there's an explosion, then it cuts close to his face. So you're just like, you know, that he's blowing up in it, but they're not doing any effects on Vincent Price himself, you know? You get the sense that he's yeah. dead too. Yeah. Now, Doug and Roger are leaving the room from, or leaving the lab room, walking down the hallway from where they were in the beginning of the movie with Randy. And Doug comically says, Man, Roger, you're a mess. I've seen meatloaf that looks better than you. Okay. And Roger goes, well, you're not exactly the forest lawn poster child yourself, Doug. Like, a forest lawn poster child? Like, that's a cemetery. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> sure. And he goes, hey, we really trashed their ass, didn't we? And Doug says, that's asses, Roger. <laughs> hey, Rog, do you think we'll be reincarnated? Roger says, as what? D- Doug says, I don't know. Maybe you get a choice. You can be whatever you want. Roger goes, oh, you mean like a statesman? Who, who the fuck says statesman? Yeah. He goes, or a president or a prize-winning novelist? And Doug says, personally, I'd like to come back as the seat of a girl's bike. And then Roger says, now that's truly inspiring. And Doug says, thank you. And Roger says, he's... And they're Sorry. walking into the light. Like They're walking into the light. Yeah, this is, which is cool. They're going to die. Yeah, you know? and, and honestly, I was talking to Bert uh, about this. Cause he, you know, cause he was asking me, he's like, is it, are you, do you take that literal? And I'm like, yeah, like, honestly, it's the only way this movie can end is them literally walking into the, the light, you know, and I'm taking it literally because the alternative is, is that treat Williams, Roger's going to be goo in like 10 minutes. Then Doug is going to fucking be goo in like, you know, I don't know, 11 hours from now, you know, it's just, there's no happy ending there. This is the only way that you can have a happy ending, you know? True, true. And this is his homage at the end to Casablanca because Roger goes, this could be the end of a beautiful friendship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like and it, then, honestly. Yeah. I, I don't I don't hate that. I, I like that they're walking into the light. At this point, the movie was such a ride, and as much as we make fun of Joe Piscopo, again, I want to reiterate, I couldn't picture anybody else in this role, and as a duo, I like them, and I want them to have a happy ending. Me too, me too. And then you end the movie the same way you started the movie with the title card zooming in and saying dead heat, which is awesome. Yeah. Then you cue the, 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 the cheese ball 80 song, which I love. Yeah. Oh no. Great song. It's the one, the song they play during the, the menus on, on the, the, the Blu-ray disc. Yeah. And the lyrics are just an ordinary guy <laughs> on an ordinary day, cruising down the road, nothing standing in your way. Better open up your eyes. There's a danger right behind. And if you don't move fast, you'll never see the finish line. It's dead heat in a race against term. 
You don't want to <laughs> cash it in with your life on the line. You're in a dirt heat. Dude, it's so good. Credits. It's, it's up there. Good job, buddy. It's up there with Neon Slime and Bumping the Night on, on Witchboard, which is, is an awesome song as well. And this one's by fantastic. By Kevin Tenney, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Kevin Tenney listened to our breakdown, fun fact. Oh, oh, that's that's freaking awesome. That's fantastic. I love yeah, that. I, I talked to, I talked to him about it on Facebook. So oh, uh okay. he's a, he he was a he was really proud of our breakdown. Oh, wow. That's that's first I'm hearing about it. That's awesome. I had no clue, but this song's great, man. This fucking movie's fucking awesome. Uh is I mean, come on. I we pulled a little riff track on this and and kind of shat on some stuff, but for the most part, guys and gals, if you haven't seen it, you know, the the stuff that we called out, you'll weirdly you probably won't even notice half of it you know what i mean like it'll just go by so fast the movie's such a good time that you just you kind of don't notice half of the the shit that's silly it's there you know what i mean like repeated viewings will bring it to the surface and everything but as like a fun film and and what it does right it does dead heat does more right than it does wrong and 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 honestly anything wrong is usually in the script form or just a Joe Piscopo terrible fucking line or something. But other than that, it's a fucking blast, man. I'm so glad we reviewed it. I'm so you did a great job breaking it down, dude. Oh, thank you. This was so much fun. It's it's a fun movie, man. It's just a fun movie. Well, something so right can't be so wrong. <laughs> um, it look. I, I totally get the place that people have for podcasts where they where they rip on something and goof on it the whole time. I think ripping on pissed off Capo is is par for the course. Anybody can do that. And I think that the flaws we pointed out are genuine. Like, yeah, they shouldn't they should have fixed that or should, they should have tweaked that. I agree with you. It doesn't take away for the it doesn't take away from the love I have of this movie. I think this movie is super fun as well. I love. Like I love these eighty-eight minute movies, uh, Monster Monster Squad and and Trancers and this and like there's countless others that we've done that are so tight and I love that I think that's great, um, and and at the end of the day, it, it is this nice little homage to fifties noir and under the guise of like wacky horror films in the same way that monster squad was a homage to Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. So I think it's, it's great. It's unique. It's fresh. Uh, it's, it's shit ton of fun. You will love it because Piscopo is so bad. Like he, I, that's, that, that's, that's, that's what, what makes it enjoyable. Like, like for some reason, I mean, I fucking hate him. I fucking hate Joe Piscopo. And I'm sorry if we ever interview him. I'm sure he's a great guy. I'm sure he's really nice. But, like, I fucking hate him in this movie. But at the same time, he is one of the reasons this movie is so much fun. Because you love to fucking hate him in it. Yeah, I think it. I think that was the thing as a kid I, was, I wished was different. Was my only takeaway. Forget about the continuity or plot being iffy at points. The only thing I wanted was them to be a little bit more serious, uh, a little less jokey. Because Riggs and Murtaugh, both of them are cool. I mean, I, sort of in different ways, but like Murtaugh's like 
not not cool you know it's just yeah you don't need joe piscopo to be always like that and i'm with you i think it just for some reason as a kid i just couldn't wrap my head around what they were trying to do with this movie you know and and i do think that i probably would have gravitated to it more um if like you maybe another actor was in doug's role or something like that but i look at it as a 44 year old man in 2022 looking for just escapism from you know world war three and all the other nightmares that we're you know currently existing with and i see this movie and i'm like but i think joe piscopo is perfect because i fucking he's so he's perfectly terrible you know what i mean he is. He is. And everybody everybody does their job. There's so much fun to be had yeah. in this film. And um, flaws aside, it's got way more positives than negatives. So everybody obviously, you know, we highly recommend you pick it up from Vinegar Syndrome because that's basically the only way you can watch it right now, too. So uh, but hey, look. We had a wild ride. We basically doubled the runtime of this movie in our episode. And um, but you know what, guys? You know what also is a fun ride? You know what is a fun ride? Is Cut Right uh, Seinfeld podcast. Oh, Corey. Buddy. Thank you. I actually had a good uh segue queued up for two dollar late fee, but I'll take it. I'll take that. Thank you. So yeah, Cut Right, a Seinfeld podcast. Uh me and our pal Adam uh, are tackling every single episode of Seinfeld from beginning to end, and we are uh halfway through season eight right now, so we're almost at the end. Um, but we're also tackling Curb Your Enthusiasm on the Cartwright Patreon as well. So it's a lot of fun. I love me some Seinfeld. I know Zach does too. It's 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 interesting because Zach and I don't talk much Seinfeld, but it's it's he he likes it as well, and uh, we're all big Seinfeld fans here. But uh, you know what else well, I'm a fan of? What do you what 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 else are you a fan of? I'm a fan of two dollar baby. <laughs> what uh I know martial arts madness uh by the time we're listening to this will probably be wrapping up so because we're about at the end of march but can you give us any sort of sneak peek any preview as to what you guys have planned on uh for april maybe or for uh the patreon through our late fee patreon yeah yeah we, we we just wrapped up our martial arts madness with uh, an interview with don the dragon wilson who is a legendary martial artist and actor uh, he joined us live in he joined us live in studio, but then we did an audio version, which has some fun little clips from some of his movies, uh, which is worth checking out as well. And it's inspiring. People keep talking about our interview with Jeff Speakman, uh, the perfect weapon. Uh, I've gotten more comments from people recently saying that it was brought tears to their eyes, inspiring, uh, gratitude. So it's a really uplifting interview. But we've got an upcoming interview with an actor named Nestor Serrano. And many of you who listen to our show will know that Nestor Serrano was in one of the sh- was in the first show that I brought to TV Obscura, yeah. The Hat Squad. The Hat Squad. Yeah, I know I know him. He's I know Chooch. Him. He's he's the Chooch man. Yeah, so, he's, he's um, been in a bunch of stuff. He's that, that's oh, awesome. He's been in a bunch of stuff. We are going to be covering the movie uh Hanging with the Homeboys, which is a very uh underrated and little known indie film from the early 90s 
If you've never seen it, check it out. And that doesn't surprise me that the interview with Jeff, Jeff Speakman uh, got so deep. We've been getting a bunch of uh, uh, responses, positive responses to our, our Rob Paulson interview that, that yeah. we did. And obviously, the, the connective tissue is that Zach, uh, you know, is on both of those interviews. And, you know, I, I take all of my interviewing cues from Zach. Um, and, and he's just damn good at kind of just talking, just keeping the conversation going and, and really digging in with people. So, you know, if, if you like our interviews on pad, obviously go check out the $2 late fee interviews um, because Zach's on both of them. And I think both <laughs> of them are, they're, they're good. I think it's you buddy. And I know Dustin does a great job and I know I do a great job, but you're the backbone to those interviews. And I'm oh, really, uh, I'm really impressed oh, with what you're able to, to pull out of these people. Well, uh, <clears throat> I promise you I will not be pronouncing sulfathiazole. Hey, I did it without stumbling. <laughs> Holy shit. It literally, wow. I watched it happen. It just flowed out of his mouth. And, and even Zach like looked at the camera like, oh, my God, I just did it. Because the episode's over. That's it's why. It's over. It's wild. That's it, guys. We're done. This is it. Bye. Bye. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate it, man. Uh, it's, it's it, you know, this is. It, this is our this is our family. This is our family. And speaking of families, check out the whole BFOP network family. Yeah, yeah. Uh, talking back, action, action, uh, blast from our past, throwback trivia, takedown, all those guys. And and yeah, man, it's it's a good it's it's a great time. I love being a part of this family. I love our extended pa- family. You know, obviously, two dollar late fee, uh, ready to retro, give me back my action movies, uh, uh, cinema nine podcast, all our friends that we've made. You know, outside side of our network and everything it's really fucking cool so thank you yeah. all for being so awesome and uh yeah if you want to support podcast after dark obviously we have our patreon page we have you know the carpenter factor and everything obviously we have all that stuff but uh you know we understand times are tough uh a free way to help out the show is is leaving us a five-star review on on spotify uh leaving us a five-star review on apple podcasts uh please also do that for two dollar late fee please also do that for every show you listen to I, I don't care if it's a podcast i we don't have any connection to if you like a podcast i'm just telling you as a podcaster please leave them them a five five star review because it really fucking helps they all really really help so thank except you except for except for uh smart lists and all the big giant ones yeah yeah, yeah fuck fuck them but help, help out indie podcasters and everything yeah. so and uh we have great stuff coming for you guys in the future we have some awesome crossover stuff happening we're working on another uh two dollar late fee crossover episode that i think is going to be freaking awesome oh, yeah baby and yeah good good shit coming uh you know always always good shit coming always enjoy doing the show with you Zach, and as always, we'll catch you on the dark side. Be sure to subscribe to Podcasting After Dark and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Support Podcasting After Dark on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcasting After Dark. And visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer.
I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we've made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal is a joke.